The following is a production of Art Trap Productions, brought to you by the Gallifrey Embassy and has been made possible by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This episode brought to you by Pachock Supporting Subscribers. Go to arttrap.com slash Pachock Supporter to become a supporting subscriber. Support the show and get extra content and other bonuses. This episode brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com slash Pachock. Over 85,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. This episode also supported by the Pachock Podcast Companion app for the iPhone, iPad, and iPod Touch, now in the iTunes App Store. Live from the boot of Matt Smith's reasonably priced car, it's Doctor Who, Podshock. Gallifrey Embassy presents Doctor Who, Podshock, episode 271. I'm Ian Bissett, and I'm joined by two wild and crazy guys, <laughs> Mr. Dave AC. Hello, everyone. He's late as always. And Mr. Louis Trapani. Hey, I'm, I, I should have brushed up on my wall and crazy guys um, from Saturday Night Live. Uh, well, this is Dr. Upachuk Live. Yes. Live. Live. <laughs> Two wild and crazy guys. <laughs> and one barely alive guy. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to talk about myself. <laughs> Drink up, Dave. Drink up. Ah. It's a preservative, you know. So we're back on with Dr. Upachuk, and uh, the same gang has reunited from last episode. We have Dave and Ian here, and it's funny because every time, you know, I um, I think that there's not enough news. I'm like, oh, what are we going to do? There's not enough news. And then we come together and I'm like, oh, there's actually um, a good portion of news to talk about. Yes, there is. So we're, we're going to get into the news, and um, I guess now, unless we have anything else that we want to... Um, talk about it's may it's uh it's what's today the 22nd 23rd so yeah this month this month is really um speeding along quickly lots happened we've had uh, rockets going into space moons going in moons going in from to the sun Scotty, 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 Scotty was on board. Space. Yeah. Yes. Um, once again, uh, his first attempt, he came back down to Earth, and now um, this time um, he's in orbit. Yeah, he gave it all he had. <laughs> there be whales here. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 that's it. That was a good thing. It's it's not on our list, but it's that was great news. I, I the funny thing is I'd. Uh, told my wife, I'm like, oh, you know, his ashes are up there, right? She says, oh, really? I told her that on Sunday. <laughs> and then so I, I, I sent her a message on, on Tuesday correcting her. I'm like, you know, when I said Scotty was up there, well, I would lied. But now it's the truth. <laughs> well, a few years ago they did, you know, he was on, I don't know if it was one of these, um, a, a, it, was, it was a rocket. I don't know if it was a SpaceX rocket or not, but it, it was. was um, but they, it, unfortunately it came down. I think it, it he, you know. Well, that one only went to the edge of the actual atmosphere, I think. It was one of those. Um, 
that basically I don't think he just got high enough really yeah so well now he's up there and um, well (laughs) I'm still chopped on earth (laughs) so uh, but that's that's good you know Um, I mean it's not really Doctor Who related but I'm sure a lot of Doctor Who fans are also Star Trek fans as well so so, uh, you don't have a typing monkey I don't have a typing monkey. Told them we have a typing monkey. No, yeah, you, can borrow, you can borrow ours if you want. Yeah, yeah. No, I have a typing monkey. Okay, that's fine. It's better behave than ours. <laughs> Squeaks and squawks. Yeah, ours is quite noisy. But anyway, oh, yes, use. All right. Excuse me, I must get that fixed. <laughs> Some oil. <laughs> Join us next week for more. <laughs> oh my. Yeah, I needed that when we did that. Never mind, I'm not going to go there again. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, 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 we're not going there again. Just we'll keep those. It's all over, let it go. <laughs> All right, so let's. Uh, so the news. Let's get to the news. So once again, uh, last week we started with some Stephen. Not last week, but last episode we started with some Stephen Moffat news, and once again we're starting with Stephen Moffat news. And this time, it, it talks about um, Stephen Moffat is um, explaining, um, or is attempting to explain the scheduling behind um, Doctor Who now. And um, let's see. Basically, what he says, and this is a quote, because he, um, he did an interview with Digital Digital Spy, the website Digital Spy, and he goes on to say, quote, I don't know, on this occasion, the thinking um, particularly came from me, actually. I've always been open to anything that shakes the series up. I think that the decision actually came from the BBC. So, again, he's talking about the the scheduling of the next series. Okay, so he goes on to say, quote, I've been well up for anything that we can do to shake up the transmission pattern, the way we deliver it uh, to the audience and how long we can make the audience wait, simply because that, w- that makes Doctor Who an event piece, end quote. Um, I'm sure he said it better than that. Oh, I'm sure he does. I, I'm horrible <laughs> at reading other people's words. <laughs> so, but what's, what's interesting here is because wasn't the explanation of the split series was because fans to make it so that fans wouldn't have to wait so long. And now it's sort of flip flopped. And now it's the reasoning behind the wait is to make fans wait longer and make it an event piece. It just seems like a bit of a flip flop here. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's called rationalisation. They're rationalising the decision. The first one, I think, I think some of it was actually to to move us over to more of a winter timetable. Others of it was probably to uh, ease the actual financial burden across. And remember, one of the great things about Doctor Who is uh, they were only ever scheduled, I think, initially for 13 episodes. I mean, I think we can all remember back to when the very first series was going out and, and then it was announced almost to Russell T. Davies's uh, first hearing. Yeah, yeah that, that um, yes, there'll be a Christmas one. No more money, but it'll be a Christmas one. So suddenly they had to do 14 episodes on the money for 13. And that, of course, started this whole uh, companion light. Uh, sorry, 
doctor light option that they had in yeah because they had to double up on uh shooting schedules as well because they 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 had to shoot two episodes two stories you know simultaneously so that's why um they had to kind of split the actors up yeah so i think whatever you whatever we say or whatever they say it's probably down to the financial decisions i would think so he i'm not going to read on but he continues making the comparison to sherlock which is uh uh, another series that he does, which we spoke about, which he produces, uh, great series. I just finished watching, I guess, the uh, series two of that, which um, is only three. I mean, it's only three episodes, but they're like ninety minutes each, so it's sort of like a movie. Like each episode's a movie. So if you were to split it into forty-five minutes, like Doctor Who's episodes, that would equate to six episodes a series. Oh, let me read a bit. I like reading a bit. Let me okay, read a bit. Okay, please do. <laughs> Before you read a bit, Dave, I've got a question. Ooh. When's the Olympics start? Uh, they're in, well, when they started doing the torch, would you believe they're taking the torch around for 70 days? So it's sometime in mid early July. Um, I so it has something to do with delaying it as well. It could well be. Certainly it's, could be. You're, you're not going to be able to compete with the Olympics. I'm sorry. Yeah, but the dads are going to be like, no, 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 no. We want to see the pretty girls doing their gymnastics. <laughs> right. Uh, anyway, and then, of course, they're, they're, they're followed by the uh, Paralympics as well. Mm-hmm. So that basically takes a month out. Right. Is the Olympics anyway. broadcast on BBC or a oh, Channel 4? Absolutely, yes. Uh-huh. BBC are the uh, channel and they're, they're going full out. There's going to be at least... 18 channels they're, they're uh, certainly on satellite they're uh, putting more channels out there's going to be um, uh, feeds over the internet these are going to be um, I think it could be as many as 24 so basically whichever event you like in the Olympic Games whether it's you know dress, dressage with the horses or whether it's the um, uh, tennis or whether it's table tennis or the cycling at the velodrome you won't have to just have a one hour here and one hour there there will be a channel for each of the major sporting venues i just want to see the segment of david Tennant carrying the torch mm-hmm. <laughs> i'll be happy i wonder if it'll ever happen but i doubt it they should do it they should do it just they as should. a lock you know how, how long are they going to carry the torch again? You said they're carrying it for like weeks? 70 days. 70 days. 70 so a few hours within those 70 days, they can't just hand it off to David Tennant with it and, and make sure he's wearing his long is, coat. And <laughs> The thing is, fans won't be happy unless he takes it up the steps and lights the damn bowl. <laughs> we're like, oh, it was all right, I guess, but we wanted him to light the damn bowl. Yeah, well. <laughs> You have to, you can watch that in that the episode itself. Yeah, exactly. But the thing is, what I'm saying know, is, fans will never be happy. Well, I just want to know if the if the audience is going to disappear for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was strange. Okay, here we go then. The more Doctor Who becomes a perennial, the faster it starts to die. You've got to shake it up. You've got to be keep people on edge and wondering when it will come back. Sherlock's a prime example. As far as that goes, Sherlock almost exists on a starving its audience. By the time it came back this year, Sherlock was like a rock star re-entering the building. So, keeping Doctor Who as an event and never making people feel oh, it's lovely, reliable, old Doctor Who. It'll be on about this time, or it'll be on for that time of year. Once you start to do that, just slowly, it becomes like any much-loved ornament in your house, ultimately invisible, and I don't want that to ever be the case. End quote. 
Bull, bull hockey. <laughs> uh, we will just wait for a round of applause there. <laughs> uh, well, uh, the good, well read, sir. Well read. Uh, <laughs> but, oh, uh, the Ukrainian judge says... Uh, <laughs> uh, that was the Ukrainian judge. Uh, <laughs> he's an audience unto himself. Um, no, I think that's a load of codswallop and uh, yeah, yeah, uh, companions' britches. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, he does have a kind of a point, but it's not good to continually um, mess your audience around because then what you lead to is people going. Oh, did you watch Doctor Who? Like, oh, Doctor Who's back on. Yeah, they were always putting it on at different times, so I never know when it's on. Oh, you know, that's mm-hmm. that's that's the, the the flip side of this. And yeah, this this thing's going on at the BBC, of course, and they're moving stuff around. And I'm, I'm sure the Olympics have got quite a lot to do with this year. Um, well, it's and, a valid point that you make with the Olympics, you know, because um, the, I'm the sure that plays into it. The other thing I think is that, that they wanted is they wanted to put it on, like I said uh, last uh, last show, is when we're getting uh, into to, to fall and winter, when the sun's setting a little earlier, it's a little cooler out, people are more apt to be inside. Let's get that you know comfortable show in a comfortable you know with with people who are in, you know the, the the frame of mind to want to just sit in front of the TV. Uh, that's where you want Doctor Who to be, and that's what Stephen Moffat and well, that's what um, Russell T Davies always said. You know, he always liked it to be on. There's no point in having Doctor Who on and the sun's blazing outside, and it's yeah. Uh, lovely well, we warm. we said it time and time again on Doctor Who Parchak, the same thing about that. That you know, it's conducive to uh, f- for the audience that it's aimed at to be in the fall when it's darker outside, and you're not competing with outside activities, and uh, you know. My son always says, "Oh, you're gonna have the lights off for Doctor Who." Yeah, and if you're going to be, you know, it creates a mood and and all that. It's, I, I think, I think it's beneficial. Yeah. Yep. Though uh, this yep, year, it's it's not going to start as late as we originally thought because I know when uh, an episode that Graham was on the show, he was calculating that if um, you know we knew when the the Christmas uh, you know story was taking place, uh, you know, um, and Christmas? we were count. Yeah, we were we were counting episodes backwards from that, and it would put like the first episode around the weekend of November twenty third or something like that. And um, but now they're showing the first episode at the Edinburgh uh, Television Festival or something like that in August at the end of August. So I don't think they're going to make us. Uh, there's going to be that big of a gap. I think we'll probably get the probably a month later at most is when the series will begin. Yeah, I don't think they can hold it back much more than a month after that. Even though that is a, a limited screening, of course. Mm-hmm. I think, think a month is probably about it. Right. So, well, this isn't the only Stephen Moffat news. No, there's more. But wait. There's, but wait. There's more. <laughs> there's more. So, in other um, Stephen Moffat news, this is, relates to the, the BAFTAs, which I think we uh, re- reported that it was upcoming in the last episode right or we, we mentioned it and well there's two battles we, we had the uh, the ones for technical uh, and then of course there's the artistic ones so uh, it's it's this sunday that the main baftas are on i see i see so what they did was something um they did uh, the technical ones i guess first 
Yeah, it's too long to. I mean, you must know from American awards yeah. ceremonies, they can be endless. So, yeah, they, they do that uh, with the Oscars now, too. The Academy uh, Awards I, are broken I think up. They're not called, uh, is it technical or craft awards? I think it was the craft BAFTAs. Mm-hmm. But um, th- those have gone, have gone ahead. I think they were on the 13th of May. Um, and it's this Sunday coming up, which, of course, is the uh, 27th, is it? Yeah, uh, I'm not sure that actually whether that's yeah, when they so. will air on the TV because obviously I'm not sure whether they're shown live or whether they're recorded the night before and then and done later. So um, Stephen Moffat is getting a isn't that special award? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a special BAFTA award. Yes, he is. And uh, this is uh, for his. Um, Outstanding creative writing contribution to British television. What ho? There you go. There you go. And uh, when they asked him, how does it feel to win this special BAFTA award, Stephen Moffat said, and forgive me, Graham, for my lousy impersonation of the man, well, I don't know. It's a bit like being shown your mausoleum. No, it's great. It's really exciting. Oh, I'm going to forget it now. Of course, it, it fends off insecurity for about 10 to 15 minutes more a day, I suppose. It's absolutely lovely. Absolutely thrilling. Yeah, Actually, it sounded more like Russell T. Davies toward the end of that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it is, uh, uh, sorry, at London's Royal Festival Hall on the 27th. There you go. There you go. So, yes, he's run out of awards to win, so they're giving him a special one. <laughs> Blimey, a special award And I didn't even know I was ill So thrilled by this Especially after two years of Sherlock and Doctor Who My favourite shows ever Of course the work and the people I get on with Has always been my reward I need A fact that I'm very glad BAFTA has disregarded (laughs) Well I think he deserves it Mm -hmm. For Sherlock (laughs) (laughs) not saying anymore. <laughs> I don't think that kind of works. Well, he can put these uh, on the shelf with all his Hugo Awards and um, other numerous other awards, which are probably too numerous to mention here. And if he wants to go out and cut public, he can cover his face with it. <laughs> handy that way. Oh, who's that? Oh, it's just BAFTA. So I think there's more awards going on as well. Well, it's not more awards. Yeah, there's the TV Choice Awards. This is sort of like in in the U.S. They, I don't know if they still exist or not. Um, I don't really follow it, but there's the People Choice Awards. So this is Team um, Choice Awards. And- yeah, it's it's basically who who votes as uh, as often as they can for their favorite soap star. Uh- <laughs> so it becomes a popularity contest. I, more I or less. believe it is. I think Karen Dillon won last year over Elizabeth Slayton. So Matt Smith is up for Best Actor. Um, yeah, it's his second war for Best Actor. A huge category includes uh, Sherlock's uh, Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman, all four Mad Dog stars, John Sim, Mark Warren, Philip Glenister and Max Beasley. Now, it's and, not, and now, now be, all those names. Now, before you, go any, before you go any further there... Mad Dogs is now I see it has both John Sim and Philip Glenister in it, which those that may not know, they both were in Life on Mars. Does this um, this has nothing to do with Life on Mars? It's just um, something else. Uh, yeah, Mad Dogs, yeah. Go on, go on. Here. It's it's a bunch of mates that uh, well, the first series they they got together and uh, 
this guy's holiday villa and just things rent awry from there. I won't go into it too much, but it's a, it's an interesting little show. Uh, it's basically like a kind of like a, a, a just these four guys doing stuff. I haven't seen the, the other. Uh, is it a drama or is it a reality show? Drama. It's oh. a drama. Okay, uh, it's got a comedy element to it, is it not? Yeah. Or a bit of a comedy element. Uh, well, at least the first one had some, but uh, a lot of kind of oh, I can't believe they did that, and you know. Do they do any references or nods to Life on Mars, being that two of the stars are from formerly from Life on Mars? No, no. And actually, Mark Warren's in it as well, and Max Beasley. Uh, Mark Warren, of course, you remember from um, uh, oh god, from uh, yeah, the, <laughs> uh, the first ever Doctor Light episode. Uh, the, yeah, the monster. Um. <laughs> Oh. Doctor Who fans. Where's the Doctor <laughs> Who fan when we need one? <laughs> oh, yeah, dear. that show. Yeah, that episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that one. Yeah. Just, say, pave, just pave, say Paving Stone. They'll know which one we mean. Paving Stone, yes. Paving Stone. Loving Monsters. <laughs> Loving Monsters. That's the one. Uh, and also Max Beasley, uh, for those of you who followed it, uh, was uh, in the series Survivors, one of the reinvention yeah, of it. It was excellent in that. Uh, and yes. also in Mad Men, I don't know what's in this series, but uh, Anthony Stewart Head was in that as well. Of course, he was the voice of Confidential, uh, Doctor Confidential for a long time. And it's been, of course, has been in Buffy and all sorts. Um, also up for an award is uh, Colin Morgan from Merlin. Yeah, that's the one that keeps his shirt on, not the one that Ian likes. I know, yeah. And then uh, Karen Gillan is up for her second Best Actress Award. Right, yes. And she's up against Freemar Adjaman for Law and Order UK. But never mind that. She's up against even tougher competition. She's up against Amelia Fox for Silent Witness. And uh, Amelia Fox uh, was also in uh, Merlin. She played uh, uh, one of the... uh, Morgoose, was it? Yes, Morgoose. And Gillian Anderson, is that the same Gillian Anderson from X-Files? the very same. Yep. There was rumors of her being on Doctor Who at one time. Yeah, she's up for Great Expectations. And she was excellent, That's right. She was excellent in Great Expectations, by the way. It was a fabulous production of it. Additionally, Torchwood Miracle Day is actually up against Sherlock, so... (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I didn't mean to laugh out loud. Or did I? Uh, But, of course, other other shows uh, being nominated for Best Drama Series are also Being Human, uh, Dirk Gently, and Downton Abbey. Uh, so, yeah, tough competition there with Downton Abbey being uh, in the list. Yeah, and Dirk Gently has just had a, a second run of three episodes. Again, it's a little bit like Sherlock. They only seem to do about three in a, a row, and that's, uh, that's been highly successful. Uh, the the main actor in Dirk Gently is, is also being seen in Episodes, um, which is another series that has the former Friends star, Matt LeBlanc, in. Ah, yes. Yes, it's a HBO series, isn't it? I'm not too sure. It's one of these joint productions, yes. It's probably a joint production across the thing, yeah. So you can vote up until June 15th. Um, there's, uh, I guess there's a website that you can go to and, and vote. I guess it's limited to just the UK viewers, if you, I'm assuming. And no, uh, I, I think I voted last year. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. 
<laughs> so I think, and I think it's another one of those uh, <laughs> vote now and vote often. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so our previous award winners include uh, Christopher Eccleston in 2005, David Tennant um, in 2006 through 2008, and Billy Piper and Catherine Tate as well. Yeah, voting is open until midnight on Friday the 15th of June. Yeah, so, yeah, it's going to be interesting, uh, especially, you know, the, the, the best drama series. I don't see Tor- Torture Miracle Day getting any, anywhere, but... Uh, well, not Sherlock, if it's up against Sherlock. I, it's... Sherlock and, and Downton Abbey, uh, you know. But, and also Silent Witness. Any other shows, so, you know, all, all the listing on the on the page we're reading mainly is the shows that we're interested in. <laughs> which is all the sci-fi and fantasy shows. The one thing I will say, though, is it just shows that, the, you know, often they have these awards and there's basically an out-and-out winner. And, and, and forgive me for saying it, sometimes the, the other ones that are up with it there are almost wait, mate-weights. I mean, here, it's an absolutely fabulous collection of uh, quality stuff. And you could almost say whoever wins it is deserving including Torch with Miracle Day. I quite enjoyed it. Some of the things were a little bit funny about it, but I thought it was uh, really good. I think you enjoyed episode 17. Yeah, probably. (laughs) He doesn't remember. (laughs) I've tried to scrub it out of my head, I think. Uh, It was was probably a scene involving um, um, John Berriman and nudity. Uh, Yes, yes. Which, you know, (laughs) never fails to please. Yeah, don't get uh, don't get loose into trouble again. Yeah, don't. Uh, but but there's it's it's not just this uh, TV choice isn't just uh, British shows. It's um, any TV show that happens to be on in Britain. Um, uh, US shows uh, like uh, um, Fringe are also in there, and House, uh, Hawaii Five O, Grey's Anatomy. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a whole gamut of uh, of different shows. I see. Okay. And speaking of Christopher Eccleston, as a previous TV Choice Award winner, he's uh, has been quoted recently in saying that he does um, he, that he is a huge he's hugely grateful for his um, for fans of Doctor Who, and because um, as as you remember, he had left after one year, and there was some confusion on why and and what was the basis of all that, and. Um, and I'm not going to get into all that, but he's he goes on to say that, quote, my conscience is completely clear. clear. I lived my life, uh, particularly my working life, on the basis that I'm able that I have to be able to look at myself in the mirror and about the about the way I behave. I wasn't it wasn't a bold move. It was entirely a it was an entirely natural one. I'm hugely grateful to uh, to children who to this day come up to me and talk to me about the show End quote. So that's um, Christopher Eccleston talking about his time at Doctor Who, and um, he goes on to say that he's going to uh, focus on theater. He has um, he quote I've neglected theater. That's a shame. I've um, that's why I went to train as an actor, and for the next twenty to thirty years, twenty or thirty years, I'm going to do more of it. That's the plan. I'm determined, and yeah. that's what mm. I've, I've, I've forgiven him. I mean. I've... You know, but like a lot of fans, uh, I think we just would have liked to have had, you know, even one more would have been nice, but, you know. 
I, yeah. I don't think anybody's really that that mad. It's not like he did it like, well, ha ha. Now you got used to me. I'm out. Uh, <laughs> it was like he said, you know. Who and he didn't know going into this that it was going to take off either. You know, yeah. figured oh, I'll do this and and then I'll go do something else. He was he's an actor and that's what actors do. You know, he doesn't owe anything to anybody, even though we as fans. I'm not pointing fingers because I was I was in there. I was like, damn you, Eccleston. Damn you to hell. I'm not going to light your doctor now. <laughs> well, I, I know there was some resentment for like wasting a regeneration, but I, I think that that cap has sort of been lifted. You know, the 12 regeneration caps has been lifted um, from what we can tell. And also, uh, but we, I think we have to be grateful for what he brought to the series. He was a name and he, you know, the, the series it, came back to television. It might not have gone ahead without him, might it? Yeah. Start with, yeah, that's and, the whole right. point. And it, it was able to walk on its own two feet right out of the gate, you know, with um, Christopher Eccleston at, at the helm there. Right. I think there's some little disingenuous, uh, disingenuous with him, though, saying that, you know, what, what the implication is there is sort of the, this is a bit lightweight and I wanted to go on and do serious stuff. What was the serious stuff he went on to do? Heroes and G.I. Joe. So, I mean, <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Well, it's, it's one of those things. That you've got to make these choices as, as an actor. And, and like David Tennant said, you know, he announced that he was leaving and then Stephen Moffat said he was taking over and he's like, oh, bugger. <laughs> it's one of those things. You've got to make a decision. I mean, I've it's small potatoes, but it's like I've made those decisions to not go out for a show because I wanted to do something else and, you know, ended up seeing the show and going, man, I wish I'd done that now. I, you know, it's one of those things. You make a decision as an actor well, I'm only going to do this. And, I, and I, I'm i pretty sure that it was on the cards from the get-go that he said, I'll do one series. Because yeah. I doubt... I, know, that's what I feel as well, yeah. You know, and they knew it, and well, it was just a bit of a mess-up in the middle there where it was like, uh, <laughs> Well, we there, there was some talk about the fact that because they didn't know how successful it was going to be, he was such an expensive star that they couldn't afford to sort of time into a three-year contract anyway because he would have, you know, it, it could have been that Doctor Who went six episodes and folded and then they had to pay him for three series. So right. they didn't tie him up for that, did they? Right. I think they made very sure, didn't they, when David Tennant came in that, that they had the contract in place that, you know, it's right. a three-year deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I'm I'm still kind of. It sounds very conspiracy theorist, and I remember hearing this on on Podchuck, I think out of the, the the mouth of Ken Deep. Sorry if I'm wrong, Ken, but uh, um, about them having David lined up already. You know, they they had Christopher, and, and then they're like, well, if this takes off and Christopher leaves, you know, at the end of that series, then we've got David lined up. It just seemed like they really knew that they had something on their hands with with David. I don't know. Well, he had worked with um, with Russell T. Davies before with right. um, Casanova. Yes, yes. And I the, think there was there was a certain amount of pre planning. I think that went into the whole first year and a half. I think they had a genuine a, a genuine direction that they knew that they were heading, and it worked. I'm sorry, but it worked. It's like you know, we sit here and you know try and rationalize everything that happened but you know the the, the truth is it it, it went well <laughs> phenomenally yeah, yeah. Absolutely. and it's not the first actor that fans have some sometimes um 
were upset about that they didn't come back and do something like Tom Baker didn't do the five doctors and right. um, Colin, Colin Baker didn't, didn't come, come back for his regenerations. regenerations. But I mean, that's understandably, you know, he, <laughs> but I mean, he, he had to move on as an actor. I mean, they, they, right. I mean, they, unfortunately they, they let him go and then he wasn't going to come back and, and stop his career just to do five minutes. And yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't Colin's bad. It was their bad. They didn't think they're like, well, let's get rid of that guy. Oh, oh, wait. <laughs> nope, sorry. <laughs> you already took your hand off the queen. <laughs> Speaking of which, I didn't see, I didn't hear that radio broadcast with Michael Grade. Um, did any of you two hear it? Was it, did he um, backpedal? Hey. No. And they they some of the guys on there were just like, you really wanted rid of that show, and he laughs. <laughs> He's not, I mean, I'm going to say this about him. He's never made any bones about it. He's always been adamant, yeah, sure, I wanted to get rid of it. And looking at some of the comments I've seen on some of the DVDs about the BBC's attitude towards the show in general, it doesn't surprise me that the controller was following suit and saying, fine, get rid of it. So, But yeah, he's, he's, like he said, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, I wanted rid of it. And... Uh, that's exactly what happened. Well, speaking of getting rid of things. Yes. <laughs> now I've got to add the, the, the monkey typewriter just for your benefit there. Uh, <laughs> the BBC is also is getting rid of another institution of its own, which is, uh, was it the BBC Television Centre in... Um, in, in the UK, there's uh, where traditionally where Doctor Who had been shot, you know, before it came back in 2005. Uh, in the past, it was, um, you know, the, as what we sometimes known as the classic series. Many of those um, stories were shot in uh, BBC Television Centre. And, um, and if you recall back at the time, for those longtime Doctor Who fans, documentaries and all that, uh, some of the behind-the-scenes stuff take place in that television center. So now there was a – recently BBC4 had a documentary which had Peter Davison, um, Katie Manning, Louise Jameson, Janet Fielding in it uh, talking about the cent- – I guess um, – I haven't seen it, but I think you two have. Yes, we have. Um, Brian Blessed's in there as well um, and Terry Wogan and – Pans people. Um, yeah, pans people. Uh, uh, uh. I hadn't realized how incredible that building was. And the, the funny thing is, at the end of this, not having uh, you know lived in, in, in Britain or anything, growing up in New Zealand, I was I was sad. I was sad that this thing's going away. I mean, I'm sure there's very very good reasons, economy wise and everything, but it's iconic places. The place is, but I mean, it's even more than that. I mean, they give you this uh, slice by slice look at how this thing is laid out, and it's, for the time that it was built, there was some amazing forethought that went into this this big round building uh, with all these mm-hmm. huge studios in it. And I mean, just more than just Doctor Who was filmed there; so many things were filmed all at the same time. They could b- borrow stuff from from other sets, and they had a, I mean, even from a coming from a theater standpoint there's this one but they were walking through it and there's this whole big set construction warehouse inside this building where they're just banging up these sets and they were talking about how if they needed something they'd just go wandering through and go well can we have that when you're done you know and their, their costume area um 
if you get the chance to see it, it's uh, it's on the the, the iPlayer. Uh, also, Blog to Who has um, uh, some collated Doctor Who related materials that are in there, as Lewis said. Uh, Peter Davison and Katie Manning and Louise Jameson and Janet Fielding are there making comments about it, about their you know their, their experiences at Television Center. Um, and Brian Blessed. Yes! Yeah, wasn't it, uh, is it uh, James Harper? One of the directors was there. Oh, yeah, Graham Harper. Graham yeah. Harper, yeah, Graham yeah. Harper. Dave, David's uh, doppelganger. <laughs> one of there's, them. There's, there's, there's two, two people in British TV that look like Dave. <laughs> Colin Sparrow and... Yeah, Colin uh, Paul yeah. and and, and uh, <laughs> yeah. He, he apparently got ribbed by um, Morecambe and Wise because mm. he was a young, fresh-faced kid then. Oh, and, that was uh, fantastic that story. <laughs> uh, and then there was uh, uh, Noel Edmonds at the multicolored swap shop, and he's going through, and he walks through the studio, and they're filming uh, "It Ain't Half Hot," Mum, which was a, a famous, you know, think Dad's Army and that sort of thing. It's a you know a, an old British comedy and. Um, yeah. And well, then the funny thing about that story is they were talking about how um, you know these um, these shows would just basically try things on that that you know because you know the, the uppity ups upstairs were like you know we're doing doing this and this and this and you know there's no going out of the uh, the programming but uh, people like Noel Edmonds and uh, they'd well okay grab the camera and they'd roll into the next studio. In there, in the middle of filming something. <laughs> he says, so what are you doing in here? Dad's army? That's actually what he said when he came in. And it ain't half hot, Mum. Half of you are probably going, what are they talking about? But the British people know what we're talking about, so yes. Two things. In the basement, they had the area. The, the, I mean, it's think, think like nowadays where you have a little desktop computer, but in those days you had to have a whole room full of computers. Well, it was the same then with videotapes. The videotapes machines were about, you know, uh, the size of a crate, uh, you know, with the two-inch tapes. So when you see that and, and, and what they were recording, you can a little bit understand why they had to reuse some of those tapes. Yeah. Why, they, why they chose Dot 2 to wipe, I don't know, but um, other stuff was lost. Um, but it really was um, a smashing little homage to uh, the place. They had um, a chap, uh, a high-wire act, Chuck walking across the building on the without a safety net. No safety, net, no, no, net. No, no safety harness, nothing. Just you. Oh, yeah, right now Bob's going to walk across this thing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and David Attenborough was there. He was on it, of course, well known for all his famous. And talking about how the, some of the, 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 the new uh, music shows when they came in and they had these bands and stuff and they were uh, smoking things in dressing rooms. And, and David Edinburgh was like, just keep the doors. Would you mind making sure it doesn't waft out of the room? <laughs> the things that they get away with in there, and the people, you know, drunk people, and they, they talked about one presenter. They had they basically kept him cooped up in his in his dressing room and fed him coffee and everything, so he'd be ready to go on the show. Uh, <laughs> but if you get the chance, sort of like it, me, yeah. <laughs> if you get the chance to see it, it's a great little thing to watch. Even if you're not all that familiar with what Television Center is, um, it is an amazing thing to see. Uh, this thing that was built at the, the you know at the birth of television, really, and uh, it, it's, it's funny because it was built to bring in all of the productions from the BBC outlying areas 
all in under one roof. And now what they're doing is they're actually doing the reverse. Doing you know, the we've reverse. got uh, uh, a lot of st- productions going on in Cardiff. Uh, we've got BBC Manchester. You know, things are you know <laughs> because I guess it's cheaper to to, to run these small uh, operations, these smaller mm-hmm. studios in outlying areas um, rather than running something in. in well, yeah, and also because Television Centre was built uh, and absolutely the first thing to be built specifically for doing it, 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 it must be outdated now. And, of course, the new centric Cardiff uh, for uh, high definition and so on must be right. that much better. And, of course, they've got the, uh, now got the Doctor Who experience going right next door to that. Right. Um, just out of interest, and they didn't really say. I mean, there was some jokes flung around, but do you know what the the, uh, the final plans are for for BBC Television Centre? I, don't know, I was going to ask. I don't know myself. Well, uh, uh, the, the 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 thing is, I would think that is the land is the most uh, valuable part of it, being where it's placed. So, uh, I've got a feeling that that's the most likely thing that it will be flattened, right. uh, unless they've got some sort of yeah. pre- preservation order on it. Of course, it could be a Grade Two listed building now, really for historical reasons. They should make it a museum or something. Like a television museum would be great. I mean, it's sad because I that was always on my list of places to go. If you know, when <laughs> whenever I get to the UK, was to visit Television Centre, and um, and now I'm going to have to cross that off my list. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to look up real quickly on, on here and see if I can see anything. But uh, yeah, it'd be. Uh, I mean, even if they just kept the facade of it, I mean, I wouldn't mind if they made it into like apartments or whatever, but and kept the outside of it. Mm. At least people could drive past and go that, you know, that was BBC Centre. Yeah. Speaking of television, there's a Doctor Who uh, actress that we know as uh, well. He's a, a, well, it's not, well, it's not well. It's not. We know her by Karen Gillan. That's her name. Interesting pause, Trevani. Interesting pause. Well, I was gonna. Say, it just sounded goofy as I was saying it. So I said we know her as you know Karen Gillan, but that's everyone else knows her as that as well. And, <laughs> so um so she wants to be on this show which i had never heard of up until like a couple episodes of dr Pachuk's um when when um when it was it was brought up to me that they did something doctor who related on it a, a show called community which i think is on nbc i don't know I, i've never seen it but no um, me neither yeah, she wants a guest on that, and I think this is the the show that uh, was brought to my attention that they're doing um, like a show within itself that's Inspector Time Space or something that's a like a parody of Doctor Who or, yeah, or the, inspired by it or I don't. Know. I've I've seen like four episodes of it, um, so yeah, you can tell we're we're, we're well versed in in this and we <laughs> we know what we're talking about. Uh, but apparently, uh, yeah, um, during an interview with the BBC. Uh, Karen said, I wasn't familiar with Community until uh, recently when one of my flatmates said, uh, do you realize... She was listening to Doctor Who Podshock and heard we yeah, talking about Yeah, she was listening to Doctor Who Podshock and she heard what Japanese is saying. What's um, this community about? Yes. Uh, one of her flatmates said, do you realize there's a Doctor Who spoof on a show over in, in the States? So we sat down and watched one of the episodes and got hooked and now I really, really love Community. Um, and then she goes on to say, I love Inspector Space Time. It's so funny because it's what we do at work every day. Uh, and then to see it over in the States in, as a, in a spoof form, it's, it's, it's kind of brilliant. So, uh, Well, yeah. I will say one thing. I'll speak up for the girl. I think she's actually quite good at comedy. I think that, 
is actually one of the elements that she 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 does excel in. And uh, I've seen her in a couple of uh, sketchy, sketches. Um, can't remember where I saw them on YouTube or somewhere. And she's actually quite good with her comic timing. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and and I'll just because I know people will be like, "Oh, God, he's going to say something bad about her." I have nothing against Karen Gill. Nothing. I'm sure, she's perfectly lovely. I'm just not a fan of Amy Pond. <laughs> All right. There's nothing wrong with Karen. She, yeah. No, she she's very she's very nice. We um, interviewed her very briefly a couple of years ago, and she's um, taller than I expected, but otherwise, um, very charming and sweet. Um, Actress. But then again, we are short, Lewis. Well, I'm, everyone's taller than, but <laughs> it's, uh, at that time, this was uh, the, the premiere of The 11th Hour, and uh, um, what had gone out on the BBC at this time was, I think, um, the first two episodes, maybe three at most, whatever. So you didn't really get a sense of scale on uh, her, her, you know, how tall she was yet, as of yet. So when I saw her in person, she just turned out to be much taller than I had imagined. There you go. But yes, yeah, so she's expressed interest in, in uh, being on Community. And I guess it was recently renewed for a fourth season of 13 episodes. Uh, so who knows? Maybe. Well, this is an American show and they only do 13 episodes? No, so, no so I'm, 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 I'm kind of surprised. I, maybe that's the. No- I, I don't. I'm disclaimer here. I don't watch a lot of. Especially a lot of. Tele- uh, primetime mainstream television. I, I just don't watch it. So I don't know what the norm is anymore. I know it's, 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 I mean, in a way, I think it, it, it's good that, uh, that American TV is doing this kind of shorter seasons and, um, moving things around a bit. Uh, you're seeing it a lot on a lot of the cable channels yeah. and not doing a full season. That's, mm-hmm. it's, that's great. I mean, I'm, I'm all for that because, you know, it seems to work well with British shows. <laughs> Can't argue with success there, yeah. Right. Speaking of success, hold on, let's, let's get the monkey back. You <laughs> uh, did very well. <laughs> <laughs> I had lots of practice. <laughs> we Last week, last Saturday, we had our, uh, our meetup again on Second Life, and it was very successful. And I want to uh, thank Victor and the whole gang behind Second, you know, the, the Doctor Who Expo and Second Life for that. We had a, a, a great turnout. And also, I just, um, what a lot of people may not have realized, because um, it wasn't in the article that we posted about the, um, you know, when we announced it. Uh, that at the same time, Relay for Life was going on, which is a fundraiser uh, that benefits, I think, um, benefits one of the the cancer research charities. Um, I, I don't want to give out the wrong charity name. Uh, it's um, I don't know if it's American the the American Cancer Society. Uh, well, I don't want to get into that without knowing exactly, but they've raised over one thousand three hundred U.S. dollars. Um, so far, and um, that's that's just the Doctor Who fans, you know. And we were part of that. We were uh, what our meetup was taking place during the fundraising effort that was um, going on in the Doctor Who experience um, on Second Life. And Second Life itself, overall, has run has raised over two hundred and sixteen thousand uh, dollars so far this year for Relay for Life. So, excellent. And for, for those people who are aware, in, inside Second Life there is a currency called Linden's. Uh, you can have a job in Second Life and uh, get, 
get Linden dollars and then use them within Second Life. Uh, but they actually do translate back out into mm-hmm. the real world. So you can you can buy Lindens, and but you can also convert your Lindens into yeah, like real exchange. time money. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, the Relay for Life is for the American Cancer Society, and uh, they uh, they had. Uh, Little donation boxes, or actually quite large donation boxes. Uh, Size queens. Much to make. Uh, and they were everywhere. Plus, there were events that uh, were held. Uh, some of the uh, the people involved with the Doctor Who experience auctioned off their avatars to uh, have things done to them. Uh, some of them had to dress up uh, like uh, uh, like David Tennant and and be uh, have a na- name of David uh, like Tennant fangirl. Yeah. Somebody else had to uh, had to change their avatar to, to a, a pony to a pony for for an entire week, and uh, somebody else was a uh, had to be Barbie um, for an entire week and. They actually, uh, Victor was actually quite surprised at the the amount of success they had with it. They, they weren't expecting quite a quite as many people to to bid on the the things they had available in their auction, and and to um, put in quite as much money. And but uh, they were pleasantly surprised. Uh, this is something I've actually participated in Relay for Life um, locally. Um, and if you check out the Relay for Life site, you'll see events that happen every year in your area. Um, I just I did. Uh, uh, a walk with a, a friend of mine, um, mm-hmm. and uh, they, they do events, and, and basically you get uh, money for well, there's money raised based on the events that you, you take part in. So check that out; it's really great. Um, I took part many a because I wanted to help my friend out. B, my uh, mother uh, survived breast cancer, um, so that's fantastic. I, I figured I'd, I I owed it to myself to get out there and uh, do some walking. Plus, it uh, wouldn't do my waistline any harm. <laughs> well, it, um, what we did this year for this meetup, rather, uh, was that in the past we usually have a um, a donation jar as well at at our Second Life thing to raise um, some funds for the show. But we um, didn't do that for this one because we just rather you know channel whatever you're going to give to Doctor Pachak to give it to Relay for Life. And so I'm I'm glad that you know they were able to raise as much as they did. And and I if I'm not mistaken, I believe it may still be going on the, the, the fundraising efforts. So, um, if you, if you visit second life, you want to, um, you know, take some Lindens and, and, and support a good cause there. Um, also before what we, um, part of our meetup was, uh, the, the first section of the meetup, the first, um, period or, um, hour or so, I guess, uh, what I was, I was one of the judges. Um, I know Ian last year was one of the judges. Yes. They did a, um, they have this competition where they, uh, people who are, are involved with Second Life, um, specifically the Doctor Who experience, uh, can uh, build either build from scratch or modify an existing TARDIS. You can, let me just back up for those that may not know what I'm talking about. You can actually get a TARDIS for all intention and purposes, as far as Second Life goes, a real functional TARDIS where it can bring you, you know, anytime, anyplace. Okay, maybe not anytime, but there's certain periods, certain regions of Second Life that are in different time periods. So, but, um, so yeah, it's, it really brings to life the aspect of the TARDIS. And, um, and many Doctor Who fans love to, uh, make the TARDIS their own. So, uh, you, you know, it's just like the Doctor regenerates so often. If you look at all the years of Doctor Who, you, you look at the TARDIS console, even the outside of the TARDIS has changed over the years. So, uh, fans have done the same. 
and they can um there's a outfitter called um hands of omega that uh or hands of omega that uh that you can buy tortoises from and they have different styles that you can choose from so uh, some have bought tortoises from them and then modified it to their liking and others have built their own from scratch so this competition was um a tortoise mod competition or and it also included those that build from scratch as well so um winners of the mod competition since i was one of the judges uh myself sen and um Kelly, 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 Kelly um, I'm, I'm sure I'm, I'm, mis- I'm getting her name wrong, but uh, there were three judges, and the winners for the mod competition was uh, Victor First Mornington, is should be a familiar name. He, Yay. he won. Uh, coming in second was David Abbott, and third was Rel Kleber. Or, um, forgive me if I'm mispronouncing names here. And then for the built from scratch competition is um the two carbits um won that <laughs> I, I, again some i also should clarify that that on second life that um you you get assigned a name which is not necessarily your name so uh if some of these names sound weird it's it's you can you can pick your first name which is uh, for example uh victor uh, that's his real name um but the uh mornington is 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 not um that's that's assigned to yeah. So yeah. So um, what's yours, Dave? Uh, Dave AC Footman. That's right. Yep. And uh, Lewis is two Hartman. Yeah, mine is two Hartman. If you get that two reference, Hartman. I thought that was rather cool. <laughs> so that, that uh, you managed to work that one. I was like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I was able to choose uh, out of the selection that they give you. Hartman was one of them. I said, oh well, I'm choosing that. And then for my first name, I used T W O for two. So yeah, so that's that's my second. But I'm able. I, what I do is I put my real name above it so that people can actually identify me because that's I you know who knows me as you know a silly name as Two Heart Man. So um, I think they do that so that they can ensure that everyone has a unique name. You know, sort of, and, and I think that's the reason behind why Second Life had chose to do it that way is because you could ha- instead of using your own name because there could be like Matt Smith there are there there are various Matt Smiths out there but there's only right. one Matt Smith that's playing the doctor but so um and then you don't get people complaining oh I can't have my real name well nobody can <laughs> yeah well now I think you can add it um as you know right. you can put a a, a secondary tag above yeah. your name I think that you can you know put your real name if you so desire so, but on 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 the news front, with um, speaking of, of Second Life and the Doctor Who Expo, where we always had our uh, meetups, except for the, the first couple, which go that dates back to twenty oh, it's almost it's going to be six years this November since our first meetup on Second Life. So I rem- I remember the first one too. It was in uh, what was it, New Babbage? Yeah, yeah, um, uh, yeah. <laughs> in a different area, I think it was. It was a completely different area. Right. Uh, but then the next one was we 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 moved to Katrina. Yes, the which uh, is where the well, it wasn't called the Doctor Who exhibition. Exhibition there was the Doctor Who Expo or ex- experience. Experience. But because of the uh, the Doctor Who experience, of course, it's uh, now opening up in Cardiff, coming soon. Yeah. So there's uh, not to be confused with the first the life expo. So, so that the first life and second life don't get confused there. So. Right. Um, but now, yes, as, as uh, Lewis was about to say, but I rudely interrupted. No, go ahead. I, I don't need to monopolize. It's moving again. 
it's moving in a moment too soon. Uh, <laughs> so basically, what does this mean? Everything will po- most probably I have not been in since they moved because they just moved uh, uh, in the last day or two. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming everything will look the same. Uh, what happened is the, the people who owned Katrina um, decided to get out of the landowning business. And so I, I believe somebody else is probably owning Katrina. What they decided to do was to rent uh, land in a new region. Um, we believe it is pronounced Utopia. It is E-U-T-O-P-I-A. Uh, if you are a member of uh, the Doctor Who Expo, um, you when you log in uh, to Second Life next, there will be a, a message from Victor, and there will be a link there for you to follow, so you can find the new location. Yeah. But again, if you just look up Doctor Who Expo in the search on um, Second Life, uh, you can find the location there. So everything should look relatively the same, but uh, just in a new spot. What we'll do is um, on our site, gallifernembassy.org and net, we'll put a link to the new location. It just means a, a new – if you think of it in terms of like a website, if you make that analogy, it's like a new URL so that you need to uh, point to to get to the Doctor Who experience, uh, Doctor Who Expo. So um, that's basically this. I, I'm assuming everything else is going to be identical. You just – if you go to the old location, it's just not going to be there anymore. So, Or it's just like a caravan. It's just yeah. a different caravan <laughs> park now. <laughs> but, but, but speaking of locations, though, I, I should make a note that our next meetup, which will be in August, will actually won't be in the Doctor Who um, exhibition. It's going to be in um, uh, David Lewis, who does the, the TARDIS newsroom, has a – I think it, he, his, um, he has a, some land in Doctor Who as well. And I believe it's called land, um, land – he has some land in um, Second Life as well. And I believe it's called the, the Land of Doctor Who or – or is it Who Island? I, I always get them mixed up. Who Island is? I, I know is where we go for the. After. That's the okay. So that's Trist. Um, that's that's someone else. So it's. Um, watch this space. Watch this space. We'll we'll, we'll, we'll tell you where we'll to go. You. I think it's the land of Doctor Who, but I, I could be mistaken. Well, we'll have the announcement as August approaches, and, and please don't let. Not, not that I I don't want the Second Life to come, but I just don't want time to. Time goes by so quickly as it is, so yes. uh, I don't want to rush August so soon. We're just uh, at the tail end of May already. All righty. All right. So yes, uh, join us next time at, the, at, at Second Life uh, and. Uh, watch this space, as I said before, of where to go and what to do and how to do it. Ah, my typing's improved. <laughs> well, speaking of watching this space, hopefully uh, this podcast will get out before Monday, because on mon- next Monday, as we're recording this on Wednesday night, the 23rd, but next Monday, which is uh, Memorial Day in the States, it's on BBC America on 8.30, there's... Um, Top Gear, which is a car enthusiast type of show that has various uh, well-known TV actors appearing on it, and uh, um, and upcoming is someone named Matt Smith, which may ring a bell. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who don't know Top Gear, it's – I mean, I guess you could say it's a car enthusiast show. It's three guys tooling around in cars, and they're funny as heck. Um and they have a, a, a guest star spot, which is a star in a reasonably priced car, uh, which they get a star, usually a British star, sometimes an American star. And they sit around the track in you know, just an average everyday car. And 
they have a, a nice board that has uh, their name and the time they made it around the track and and so um, they they have that up there and uh, you can see who who's fastest around the track and you know, the, the stars are usually like well I want to make sure I beat this person um, there's the, the the cars changed over the over the years but uh, the track has uh, has one corner towards the end called Gambon Corner it's named after Michael Gambon who um, went round that corner on two wheels. <laughs> Michael Gambon, if you don't know who he is. He was in the Christmas um, special. Yes, and also in Harry Potter. Um, <laughs> oh, I just know him from the Christmas special, but yeah. <laughs> just ignore the Trapani in the corner. Uh, <laughs> yes, so it's a, it's a great show. It's a lot of fun. Um, and tune in to see uh, Matt Smith. Well, they, they also do an interview uh, portion as well. He, he has just a small clip of that. On to Doctor Who, which is, I'm sure, where everybody wants to go. The longest-running sci-fi series in the world, isn't it? That's correct. Uh, is it 50 years now? Or next? 50 years in, on, I think it's November 23rd or 24th, 2013. 50 years. And you're the youngest Doctor ever, aren't you? I am the youngest carnation. I'm in the Guinness Book of Records, which as a child, I was like, yes! The youngest Doctor Who? Yeah. It's better than seeing how many beans you can put up your nose. It Because <laughs> one of the things that fascinates me is now children... I mean, when I was growing up and Doctor Who had the Daleks on, I was like, oh, it's a thing with a sink conjure! I was terrified. But now, I mean, my, even my youngest plays, you know, Call of Duty and plays the Nazi zombies with dogs that explode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so is it quite difficult to try and think of something that will scare a child who has just finished shooting a, an alien in the face on a, on a PlayStation? Well, no, because I... Well, yes, perhaps, but... Doctor Who isn't scary in the way that there is blood and guts and people getting blown up. And actually, how scary is that? I think scary is intention and in, and in... Which is why I think the angels are very scary, because when you, you know, if you're not looking at them, they go... <laughs> yeah, that is quite scary. What's that grinning doll one called? Which ones? Is is it, it, it looks a bit like Richard Hammond. <laughs> There were some dolls in this one, and they walked. They're, they're the peg dolls, or there's the scarecrows, which was a ten they episode. Were, no. And then this, but Cybermen aren't scary. Yes, but they know, are not scary. Somebody said they are. They aren't because they only. Work, it's like they're here, right, and you're there, and then they come at you like this, and they're slow. I know. You yeah. could just walk away. Oh, there's a Cyberman there. I'm just going <laughs> to stroll over here. Never apply logic to who. Because this is us. Top Gear, all new, next Monday at 8.30 on BBC America. Never apply logic to Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> um, do, we, do we have to chastise Matt Smith for going the 23rd or 24th? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> he'll, he'll learn quickly next year. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> yes, yes. Slap on the wrist. I'm sure. I mean, it's it's done live. So, well, this was. I'm assuming this already went out in the UK on BBC proper. It's just on BBC America, or, or am I mistaken? Is this is this? It's, it's already gone. It's been on. Been on already. Yeah, that's yeah, what I thought. On already. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, 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 it's. Sorry. Go ahead, Dave. I was just saying, uh, the thing I caught on was when he said, uh, I'm the youngest carnation. (laughs) 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 Incarnation. Incarnation. They've had some great guests on that. I mean, they've had Tom Cruise, Cameron Diaz, Gordon Ramsay, if that's your thing. Uh, They've had 
lots of uh, people on. There's some uh, really competitive, you know. I mean, they, they really do strive to get that fastest track speed. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Um, I think Colin Baker has been on an episode. I don't think he's – I don't know if he's been in the car, but uh, yeah, there's one point uh, – where somebody was going around the, the, the track and, and the terrorist materialized in the middle of the track <laughs> and Colin got out. Was this while he was the doctor or was this afterwards? This was after, yes. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, it's a great show and uh, so catch it uh, Monday, 8.30 p.m. on BBC America. Well, I'm sure um, BBC America, I'm pretty sure they repeat things as well. So if, this, um, if, if you miss it or this episode goes out, um, hopefully this will go out before then. But uh, just in case, um, I'm sure check your TV listings and you'll be able to catch it on BBC America at some point. Yeah. Um, plus, I believe uh, Comcast, at least, uh, has uh, Top Gear on. Um, oh, the, the like not pay-per-view, but uh, demand, yeah. uh, on video demand. on demand. Yeah. In demand, on demand. <laughs> I demand this video! <laughs> I demand Top Gear! <laughs> yeah. This is where you need Brian Blessed's voice. <laughs> yes, I demand top care. Walter, fly my hawk. Oh, I didn't mean to cut your hawkman off. Never mind. So now, Dave, <laughs> you had mentioned there's new Doctor Who on Thursday. Speaking of days. Yeah. Well, if you're listening to this, this will be a Thursday gone by the time uh, some magic editing has gone on. Uh, but it's <laughs> Lots a magic. Doctor Who script to screen. Uh, Thursday sees a brand new mini Doctor Who adventure come to BBC television when the results of this year's script to screen competition. Remember, they did the one where they had the children writing a little story. Oh. And in the days of the confidential, mm-hmm. uh, they were showing little bits about how that got yeah, constructed. And then in the final confidential, I think they actually showed the little performance and mm-hmm. they actually you know, got the actors to, to act it out. I think it was the one with Einstein yeah. uh, appearing yeah, in, the, right. uh, mm-hmm. in the TARDIS. So there's another one, and that uh, will be seen on uh, Thursdays on Blue Peter. But, of course, by the time you're listening to this, uh, that will be, have happened. But I'm sure somebody will have posted it on YouTube or something. Yes. Yeah, so um, that's be interesting to see. Yes. A little, little bit of Doctor Who to keep us going until uh, the fall. <laughs> that newfangled schedule keeping us yes. waiting. <laughs> Refer back to you. Oh, yeah. Ah, <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> the second time, I'm sorry. <laughs> I keep getting run over. I've got, <laughs> I've got a K mark all the way up my arm. <laughs> hey, you wanted a monkey typewriter. you got to be careful what you ask for. I know. Well, I think it stunned me into silence for a few minutes. <laughs> uh, well, good things do happen. Um, now, now. Well, there was old Doctor Who. Uh, I mean, there was new Doctor Who coming, and now there's old Doctor Who coming. What's old is new. Yes. What's new is old. Yeah, it's just a DVD update on the DoctorWhoNews.net site uh, about the Ambassadors of Death uh, special editions, and it's just about uh, some updates really about the classification of past, some of the special features that will be on the forthcoming release. Uh, of course, it's a John Pertwee adventure, and I, I, I believe I've long-standing reason to believe that was John Pertwee's favourite story uh, as being um, of his. 
And um, there's also uh, some f- special features on Vengeance, on Virus. Uh, we've been doing news for a long time. Yeah. Uh, Lewis, for so, I don't for, know how, for how, someone... how much detail you want me to go in here. No, no, we'll, we'll wrap up the news right now. I, I was just... I was just observing that we are already over an hour into the news segment and i was afraid we had no news for this episode there's lots of stuff in these dvds check them out <laughs> right well <laughs> there you go done <laughs> all right so we'll be right back with more dr hupachak we have an interview on deck and then we have some feedback coming up so um strap yourselves in get a lovely beverage and um we'll be right back with more dr hupachak Hi, this is Graham Harper, and you're listening to Doctor Who Podshot. Hey, I can't believe a year has gone by already. Next week is Blog World and New Media Expo. It's the New York show. And once again, Dr. Hugh Pachak will be represented there. I'll be there attending, and I hope maybe um, if you will, you might say hi. Well, I <laughs> hope it's not just a might. You will say hi if you see me there. It's a, Well, it, it's a good show for anyone that's into blogging and podcasting or in the new media field. If you're a long-time listener to Dr. Hupachuk, you know I attended previous conferences. It's made up of various speakers. It pulls in thousands of people in attendance. It's a trade show for bloggers, podcasters, and other new media producers. So if this is something that you're interested in, it's something that you might want to attend. It's June 5th, 6th, and 7th in New York, in New York City at the Jacob Javits Convention Center. It's the same uh, location that it was last year in New York. And what they have done the past couple of years is they have split the event up to uh, for a West Coast show and an East Coast show where it used to be just one show a year. So now they do do the show twice a year and on, it's bi-coastal now. So, uh, so those on the East Coast have a better chance of attending um, – you know, as opposed to traveling across the country for it. So I'm I'm grateful for that as well. So anyway, so again, if you are attending, I know last year I met up with a few of our listeners and I had a great time. Uh, it was good meeting, um, meeting you there. I'm not going to mention names, but you know who you are. I've already been in touch with a couple of you that are attending, so I know um, I know a few of you will be there. So again, if you do uh, see me, um. Maybe I'll, maybe one of the days I'll, I'll have my Dr. Pachak shirt on, so maybe um, you can uh, spot me in the crowd there. Uh, I notice my shirt is getting a bit worn out. I might have to get a new one there. So, uh, again, if you're interested in a shirt yourself, it's available at pachak.net. You can get a Dr. Pachak shirt. But if you're interested in attending, attending this event, I do have a special code for you that can save you some money. It's good until uh, June 5th. It's when the, that's when the event starts. But if you use this code, it will save you 10% off the admittance to, uh, to the event. So the code is BW, as in blog world. So it's BWAP, P as in Peter, VIP, as very important person, 10 is the is the code so once again that's b w a p v i p one zero 
and enter that code in when you're getting your tickets. If you're getting your tickets, uh, I, I do advise getting your tickets in advance to going through the website. Uh, if you need um, a link to it, go to our, sh- our, sh- our site, podshock.net, and you'll see on the, I believe it's on the left side, there's a little banner ad for that, which you will you can click and it will bring you right to um, uh, to the site and where you can um, sign up for it. Once again, it's a Blog World and New Media Expo New York. So there's a uh, there's a whole host of. If you go to the site, that you'll see all the speakers. Um, it's like I said, it's um, everyone that's um, everyone who's who who's who in podcasting and uh, new media and blogging um, usually show up uh, at one of the two events or both of them. And um, this one's no exception. I think this one's going to be actually better than last year as far as podcasting goes. So it's pretty exciting. And again, if you're there, say hi. And if you're a longtime listener to Dr. Upachuk, you know that Audible is the premier provider of digital audiobooks. They were there last year at Blog World New Media Expo, and I'm not sure, but they may be there again this year. Audible has over... 85,000 titles to choose from. In fact, I think they're up to 100,000 titles now. I'll double-check with them when I see them, if they are there next week. You know, their titles cover every genre, be it business, romance, comedy, of course, science fiction, and a whole lot more. Audible titles will play on your Kindles and your iPhones and Androids, over 500 devices for listening anytime and anywhere. And for you listeners of Doctor Who Pachuk, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial, so you have a chance to check out their service. To get your free audiobook, simply go to audibletrial.com slash podchalk. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash podchalk for your free audiobook. And as always, we like to uh, make a suggestion of what your free title could be. It could be anything that you like, you know, anything that they have to offer. You can choose it, obviously choose choose it yourself. Since Christopher Eccleston did come up in our news segment, I thought that might make a good selection to go back to a Christopher Eccleston story. I think it's we're due for one of those. This is Doctor Who Winner Takes All. It's by Jacqueline Rayner, and it's narrated by um, it's it's told by you know Camille Kadori, who uh, played Jackie Taylor, who was Rose's mom in the series. Here's a little bit of it now. I thought I'd better call home, said Rose, wandering into the TARDIS's huge, vaulted control room and waving her phone at the doctor. The doctor had his arms crossed and was leaning with his back against a wall, staring across at the large, circular structure that sat in the centre of the room on which a myriad of lights flickered and sparkled. His face shone green in the glow from a tall, thin column in the centre of the structure which indicated that they were in flight. Rose didn't know where they were going, but perhaps the Doctor could tell from observing these things exactly where in the universe the time and space machine was taking them. He nodded at her. She felt slightly cheated, having geared herself up for, well, not an argument, just that flicker of displeasure that occasionally crossed his face when she mentioned family. She pushed a bit further. It's just that my mum will worry. You know that my mum will worry, and I did promise. Sort of. He nodded again. And you think she'll worry less if you tell her you've been out facing aliens, but at the moment you're just spinning through the space-time vortex? Rose frowned. She'll worry less if she thinks I'm not dead. The doctor, her best friend, 
the doctor, who outwardly seemed to be a striking, forty-ish human with a soft northern accent, but was, she knew, actually a nine-hundred-year-old alien from some galaxy far, far away, could be a bit dismissive of her mum's worries sometimes. She wasn't sure if it was something to do with not being human, or just something to do with being the doctor. She didn't even know if he'd ever had a mum of his own. If you didn't understand mums, in general, there was no way you'd get Jackie Tyler. I'll just give her a quick call. Well, I say quick. She'll keep me on for hours, wanting to know everything. She can talk for England, my mum can. Hope you weren't planning to stop off at any planets this morning. He grinned. My planet hopping can wait till this afternoon. She smiled back and pressed the speed dial button that called her mum. She just had to accept that, through the doctor's genius, her ordinary mobile could now transcend space and time. If she thought about it too much, her mind began to feel like it was overheating. The phone rang six times before it was picked up, which surprised Rose. Her mum loved nothing better than a good old natter, and the phone was usually snatched up when it had barely got out its first bring. Hiya, mum, she said. The voice at the other end was exuberant. Rose! What are you doing? Where are you? Then a slight pause. Are you still with him? Rose smiled. I'm just hanging around in the time machine, and yeah, I'm still with him. The doctor looked up at this and did a sarky wave that she knew was directed at Jackie. Rose waved back happily. Mum says hi, she said, with her hand over the phone. And are you planning on coming home any time soon? So Rose and the Doctor return to present-day Earth, and they are intrigued by the latest craze, a video game craze, Death to the Metro Metrodines. So um, is it as harmless as it seems or not? Find out in The Wooner Takes All. And once again, to uh, make this your copy, make this your free copy, simply go to audibletrial.com slash pachak again that's audible trial one word dot com slash pachak for your free audiobook and if you're driving and you couldn't write down that url or whatever don't don't fret just go to our site pachak.net or arttrap.com and you'll see a banner link for this offer just click on it and it will bring you to the offer and you can take advantage of it get your free audiobook and if i see audible next week i'll thank them for you And we're back with Dr. Pachak, and we have on deck with us, as we said before, we, we announced this last episode, we have an interview that both Dave and Ian had conducted with uh, Mr. John Prettle, and uh, the, he had uh, written a, a he, well, he has written a book about Dr. Who, the, um, the continuity guide, not not the disc, that's, um, that's, that's um, what's his face did that? <laughs> Paul Carnell, Paul Carnell had did the uh, discount discontinuity guide, uh, but this is the the what's the do you know offhand the name of the book? I believe it's called Time Link. Okay. And there are two of them. There's actually, there's actually two. There's two volumes, uh, Time Link one and two. But this is um, you guys spoke to him about uh, Doctor Who. TV. Well, you tell me what you spoke to him about. <laughs> I'll tell you. How about we tell you? Uh, <laughs> uh, as well as uh, writing uh, two books about uh, the, the continuity of uh, and uh, history of Doctor Who, uh, John has also uh, 
in conjunction with a, another John, two Johns behind this, uh, are responsible for the website Broadcast. It's uh, B-R-O-A-D-W-C-A-S-T dot org, which is a history of the screening of the classic series of Doctor Who. And um, I've known John. Uh, he's a fellow New Zealander, a fellow Kiwi, and we caught up with him uh, to ask him all about the website and uh, what his intentions are for it and how you at home can help him out in uh, in completing all of their uh, data. So without any further ado, back to you, Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> and here's the interview. We are joined by a very special guest. Um, probably more special to me than a lot of you. Yes, yes, I'll claim ownership to that. Uh, joining us today is Mr. John Preddle. He's uh, been on uh, Mastermind in New Zealand. He's written books. He's got a website, which we'll be getting to in a moment. But uh, coming up in fandom in, in New Zealand, John was the closest thing, I guess, to a Doctor Who celebrity that you'd find in New Zealand. Um, he knew more than anybody else. Uh, he had a car with a TARDIS license plate, which just really kind of skyrockets you to start him in New Zealand <laughs> in, in fandom. Uh, he a uh, regular contributor to uh, TSV, Time Space Visualizer, and friend to uh, Mr. Paul Schoons, who we've interviewed previously on the show. How was that for an introduction, John? That's pretty good. <laughs> now we and, and and accurate. Yeah, see, yeah, he was a little worried that I was going to be inaccurate. Uh, yeah. Why, was, Ian? You must be off your game today. Accurate. <laughs> accurate. I know. <laughs> I know. But yes, um, John and I met quite a few years ago, and and many of you have well, heard it's me. the late eighties, early nineties. I would. Yes, I, I, I think it goes back to back to. Back to those days. Yes, it does. When we, when we were all very, very young. Yes. I remember the, the, the biggest <laughs> um, – people have heard me talk about this before. We ran a, ran a convention in Wellington, New Zealand, and uh, our our big guest was John Preddle. <laughs> and we a, I think we did have a section called Stump the Superfan. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> we put um, the spot. I John, can't remember if, if anybody did stump me, but... Uh... Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, for those of you in America who don't know what Mastermind is, because I don't think I've ever done one here, um, uh, people sign up to be basically fired questions at, uh, either on uh, general knowledge, well, on general knowledge, and their specialist subject. And I guess the thing that really kind of set you up in, 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 uh, in fandom was the fact that you went on there for Doctor Who, which is, I, I guess even now would be kind of a nerdy thing to do, even though they've done, you know, uh, uh, quiz shows now with, with Doctor Who uh, actors mm. and actresses on it. So it's not as... <laughs> well, I suppose that, 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 that appearance uh, that I did was back in 1988 when I was in my early 20s, so... Back at back in those days, it was probably um, uh, an unusual thing for for me to do, particularly um, because you know, appearing on national television um, and and answering questions about Doctor Who when um, people tended in those days to keep their fandom, um, their, their fanishness, if there's such a word, um, kind of. Private, you know, you didn't really go around uh, declaring that you were a card-carrying um, 
Doctor Who fan. And, and as you mentioned before, uh, we're having a, the TARDIS number plates, um, which, uh, ironically, I did actually pick up from the post office and place on my car the morning of the day when I actually recorded the semi-final heat of the Mastermind. So um, there's all it all came, uh, all, all you know, th- those two events all happened all at the same time. Um, but yes, even, it, it still haunts me to this day. The the mastermind appearance that uh, people still remind me. Not that I uh, want to forget it, but it's, it's it's sort of one of my big claims to fame, so to speak. Well, I admire your bravery going on TV to do that because I mean it's one thing. Uh, I mean, I, I, the the nearest I did to that was in my local. P- pub quiz when they did a mastermind and I volunteered and I did uh, Doctor Who. I'm not comparing it on any level other than the fact I was as nervous as heck just doing that. So how how it would be with all the, the screens and so on. But uh, Ian would have loved to do it because it put makeup on. <laughs> <laughs> now, does it... Do, I, was when I was searching around the internet. Does any of the footage still exist uh, online at all? Oh, not online. I do have it on videotape. Uh, if, I see. If, if, if and when and ever I get the um, um, my my equipment uh, geared up, so to speak, to um, dub video footage uh, online, um, I'll make sure that I don't put <laughs> <laughs> the mastermind footage up because it's the last thing I want to uh, um, have further embarrassment. But I'm sure I'm sure it'll it'll uh, if somebody looks for it, it might even already be there. I don't. I've, I've never actually thought to. Uh, I, I, had to a, I had a you know cursory search around and and didn't find anything. There is a, a website for um, New Zealand Television uh, Archives. Uh, which they have highlights of various different shows here and there. Uh, That's right. They got yes. After School with Ollie Olsen and you know some scenes from Old What Now and things like that. Uh, and they did have some Mastermind, but not the one with you in it. Whenever they show those retrospective um, programs, particularly with New Zealand having celebrated its fiftieth uh, anniversary of when television first went, uh, you know, the first television broadcast back in um, twenty ten. Didn't they trotted, screw it up badly. They they, they they trotted out, as you would expect, these retrospectives. But TVNZ made, a, as you say, made a real hash of what they did. And Prime TV, who was their uh, arrival station, did a, uh, a six-part um, look back on the full you know, the story of television. Brilliant. And it was brilliant. It was great. Well, I managed um, to uh, acquire um, the uh, both of them, actually, and, and – uh, Primes was fantastic. I mm. uh, uh, I still have it, and and I've watched it like twice now because it's fantastic. It's a look back. Well, with those with those uh, retrospective things, is they've obviously only got so much footage that they've got the clearance to use. So whenever they have these retrospective shows, like the 40th anniversary, the 50th anniversary, you see the same clips <laughs> over and over again. Oh yeah. Because that's really all they have got to be able to show, which is sad in a way. They didn't, you know, think. No, no. I think the BBC didn't think back in the day to keep the stuff, right? Thinking that it would be of of any use or of, or of any historical value to anyone later on, which right. is, um, you know, I mean, the miss, missing episodes of Doctor Who. That's something which um, you know, everyone uh, is familiar about, and um, you know, we'll be talking about the the the, the website um, right. that also has you know quite a large um, part to play. In, in, in the background to uh, um, you know, the project that I've been working on. Right. Um, so briefly before we get to that, 
if you could explain your history with Doctor Who as far as like when your first memories of watching it and then the, the time you remember basically knowing because I've, I've talked a, a bit about this with uh, with Paul uh, Schoons about the, the moment I guess I realized that I wasn't just somebody who watched Doctor Who that I was a yeah. fan oh I know that I can I can probably pinpoint it down to the exact date excellent um, but um, I was born in 1964, so uh, by the time Doctor Who started screening on New Zealand television, it was we, we, were, we were about two, three, or four years behind the UK screening. So by the time that I was six years old, um, the, the, the Patrick Troughton episodes were on. So uh, I have very vague, vague memories of the William Hartnell stories. I have very, very clear, very clear memory of watching the first regeneration scene. I remember that very, very vividly. But I have no recollection of the Cybermen whatsoever. But the, the scene where the Doctor falls on the ground and Hartnell changes into Troughton, I have very, very clear memories of that. Um, and that was in 1969, I Dave, think. Dave was about 40 then, I think. <laughs> um, so I grew up with uh, watching the, the Patrick Troughton stories. Or, you know, most, most of them are now you know, long since gone. Um, but the, what, uh, because we only rented a television, um, during the autumn and winter months, I didn't get to see all the stories that went out. Um, the ones I do remember seeing, however, were the ones that aired, um, sort of between June to September of each year. So I was lucky to see things like Evil of the Daleks and the Tomb of the Cybermen and the Web of Fear and the Wheel in Space. Um, so... I was a casual, definitely a casual viewer, although it did scare the um, the willies out of me at the time. You know, being a six-year-old, Cybermen and Yeti were, you know, true true behind the sofa stuff. Um, although in my case, it was uh, um, behind the door, you know, look, looking through the the crack in the door. Um, but then, um, you know, when by the time. It was in 1979. Now, um, again, uh, precise dates do actually escape me, but it was, I would say it was late March of 1979 when I picked up a book that was in my brother's bedroom, and it was a, a large hardback book called Doctor Who and the Daleks Omnibus. In, uh, which contained in it two, novel, two sort of adaptation novelizations uh, written by a gentleman called Terence Dix. Um, and I read this book just because I had nothing better to do that weekend. And after reading this book, I thought, oh, I really enjoyed that. I've seen these books in the bookshops. I think I might start getting some more of these. Because at the time, um, I used to collect the like the Hardy Boys and the Three Investigators novels. Right. And so I was kind of looking for another series of books to start collecting. And because having, having having read that hardback, I thought, oh, those those novels, those paperbacks, I've seen in the books in the bookshops. I'll start getting those. So I spent that week after, uh, going around all the secondhand bookshops um, in my neighbourhood uh, after school, spending you know and picking up the Target novelizations for you know thirty cents here and there. So I started building up a Target book um, collection, and uh, about a month or so later the uh, Tom Baker story started screening again on Saturday afternoons. 
Um, this was in May of 1979. So from Brain of Morbius onwards, because that was the first story to screen it in that time slot, I managed to catch just odd episodes now and then because unfortunately, because it was screening at like four o'clock in the afternoon, it was on opposite Sport on One, which is on the other channel. And because my younger brother was a big cricket and soccer fan, he sort of dominated the television on Saturday afternoon. So I missed <laughs> all these Tom Baker stories that I was screening. But because I had the books, I kind of caught up with what was happening in the stories. But every now and then I would catch the odd episode or when Nick would go outside or go into the kitchen, I'd quickly jump and change the channel to watch you know, the odd minute here and there of what Doctor Who was on on the opposite channel. Then, then when he came back, quickly switch it back to the, uh, what was on uh, the Sport on One show. But then um, TVNZ uh, changed the time slot to Doctor Who from Saturday afternoons till six to 6 o'clock on Monday evenings. And by that point, I could actually get to see every single story as it went out. Right. Um, and so at, I would say at that point, so we're talking you know, early early to mid-1979, which is when I started becoming what you could call a Doctor Who fan. I was getting the novels. I was watching it regularly on TV. A few years later, I picked up the, a copy of The Making of Doctor Who, which had all the episode titles and stories in it. Um, I had no idea at the time when I was buying the books um, which order they went in or how many stories there were. Then I started getting Doctor Who magazine, and it just you know went, went on from there. So that's sort of the potted history of right. the, how I sort of got into Doctor Who. So I, was, I started off as a casual viewer, watching it when I could, becoming to, to becoming somebody who actually became aware of the show, its background, its history, um, and, and its lore. So, Excellent. Yeah. Now, the, sorry, go ahead, Dave. I was just to say that that puts in perspective what you said about the, the time difference, because I've just been checking the, the Brain of Morbius first aired in January 76 in the UK, mm. and you were saying about it being 79. So uh, there is that three-year... Uh, so, you you know... We did catch up eventually. By the time um, of season 18, which was Tom Baker's last year, we started seeing that in 1981. So by the time it just... So I think Tom Baker just finished in Legopolis in early 81 in the UK. But by March April of 81, 81 we, we, were, we were seeing that a month, uh, about, about a month later, although there was a big gap. But we did see the Peter Davison um, season 20 episodes in 1983. But then they stopped after Mordred Undead. Um, and we didn't get any more Peter Davison for another six years. However, in oh. that gap, TVNZ went back and started repeating all the John Pertwee stories from um, from from the from the very beginning, and so we had this huge long. Uh, Ian will remember it. Um, a, a repeat season, which played um, a couple of um, a couple of the Troutons, but then we, then went through right through from Spearhead from Space all the way up to Mordred Undead again, and then they started screening the new stuff. Um, and in 1988, they celebrated the Doctor Who Silver Jubilee by having a special week long. Uh, broadcast where they played one full serial, um, sort of sort, sort of an omnibus uh, format, but not edited in a way. They just chopped out the credits. Um, but New Zealand was the first country to see episodes two and three of Silver Nemesis. We saw those um, uh, before they had even gone out in the UK. And it's interesting you should bring that up because that is the actual moment that I realised I was a Doctor Who fan. Um, and 
I do remember quite vividly watching on a small little black and white TV in my uh, uncle's shed. Because he had a little shed next to the garage. Uh, and I used to sneak in there when I was supposed to be doing my homework at, when I was living with my aunt. Um, and the, oh, I knew all these Doctor Whos were on, so I was you know, trying to catch them all. And I remember seeing Colin Baker for the first time. And that's when I realized – I remember saying – I think to my mum, I said, have you, have you ever heard of a Doctor Who fan club in, in, in Lower Hutt or Wellington? She says, no, no, dear. And I said, well, if there isn't one, I'm going to start one. That one. <laughs> and, and that's that's what I – when I got back – when I finished school, because um, I was at Wanganui Collegiate, which is why I was living with my aunt, uh, that's that's what I did. I, I started looking around and uh, I found a, a second-hand bookstore in Wellington. RTBs that uh, had a lot of Doctor Who and a Doctor Who fan behind the counter, and uh, she informed me of uh, the NZDWFC Wellington chapter, and the rest is history. Uh, and the rest I've also talked about on other podcasts. We're here to talk about John. Now, yeah. uh, as we can tell, you're quite familiar with it when everything was on, um, and uh, I have a sneaking suspicion Dave did some research on a site we're about to talk about, Broadcast. Good segue. <laughs> yes, I know. I know. It's very good. <laughs> it's funny because um, the uh, knowing um, – you know, as Doctor Who fans tend to do, you know, we, we make lots of lists of things. It seems well, to be – part of the gene is to make lists. <laughs> I, 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 would, I, would, I would hazard that your, your knowledge of, of Doctor Who is – a little more encyclopedic than most of ours, but you know, I I think we all know that. Um. <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't want to put it too much to the test now. Uh, as you as you get older, you kind of. <laughs> well, yeah, we can tell from your, Dave. I mean, he he. Your memory he doesn't quite. the show, don't you, Dave? Yeah, I, I've got two claims to fame, John. I, I've seen every Doctor Who story, not every episode. Well, every story, because uh, I was 17 when Doctor Who started on the TV, uh, and I've forgotten the second claim, claim to fame. I've forgotten most of it. <laughs> <laughs> so, right. uh, I mean, I've always known you as, I mean, you know, the master fan in New Zealand, you know, with this broad knowledge of of, of all things Doctor Who. And so, when I heard about broadcast, uh, mainly from Benjamin Elliott, actually, but we'll talk about him in a moment, mm-hmm. I'm sure. Um, it didn't really surprise me. It did not really <laughs> surprise me. Tell me about how the idea came about. I mean, you know, did you just like, I know what we need? Well, okay. I, well, I, I, I'll, I'll run through a sort of a, a potted history of, of how it sort of the, the germ of the idea came about and how it got to where it is. So I'll so interrupt me if you think I'm rambling, but um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll try and try and do this in a in a chronological order because. Chronological order is kind of what broadcast is all about. So uh, it's sort of the mindset that I'm in at the moment. But going back to my <clears throat> excuse me, going back to my comment earlier, comment about uh, making lists and also um, being able to pinpoint when the uh, Doctor Who episodes screened in New Zealand, it's sort of all part of the same way my brain works um, <laughs> in terms of like uh, having made lots of lists of things. Um, and I, I can I can date it back to uh, around eighty three eighty four because I'd left I'd, I'd finished high school by that point, and 
for what for some strange reason, I don't know what 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 uh, what uh, triggered it, but I decided to spend my evenings um, and also my lunch hour when I was working in the, in, in Auckland to go to the public library where they had a complete set of the New Zealand Listener. Uh, the New Zealand Listener is the sort of like the equivalent of the Radio Times. It was the it was a magazine, but it also had the television listings in it. And I thought I'd go through these listings and make notes of all the TV shows that I used to watch as a child. And one of the things, because I was a Doctor Who fan at that point, because yeah, I'm talking 83, 84, so I've become I've been a Doctor Who fan for at least about four four or five years by that point. And so going through the listeners, I started making notes of when episodes of Doctor Who screened. And one of the things that um, surprised me at the time was just how many episodes and stories we never got here in New Zealand. Um, we, we, you know, we, we got the majority of the Hartnells and uh, the majority of the Trowns, but there was a huge chunk of Pertwees we never, ever got. And after making these notes, I, I sort of... Whenever you do research of this nature, you kind of think, well, what am I going to do with it all? I've got all these, all these handwritten notes. You know, this is 84. This is pre-computer, pre-PC days. So even, you, know, you, didn't, you didn't have the luxury of being able to um, store it on a, on a hard drive. It was all paper-based. And eventually, after accumulating all this data and then um, the, the repeats of screening, I sort of just sort of filed it away. Um, and then... Around 1987, um, I got together with a friend, Murray Jackson, and we decided that we would create our own Doctor Who fanzine. So we came up with Time Warp. Um, and I thought one of the things I thought we would do for the very, very first issue of this fanzine was to publish these listings, the, the, the air dates. So I pulled out my, my, um, my original notes and typed it all up on a manual typewriter. I passed it all on to Murray. He retyped it onto a better, using a better typewriter. <laughs> but the problem, but the, the problem with that was that in the translation from my handwritten notes to my typewriter, from my typewriter to his typewriter, a few little errors um, and transposed, you know, transposed dates and figures um, occurred. So when, when we finally published this uh, this fanzine in early '87. It wasn't 100% accurate. Um, but later on that same year, 87, that's when I first met with Paul Schoons. Uh, he, he was a friend of a mutual friend of mine, of Murray's. Um, and when Paul got a copy of Time Warp, he sort of thought, oh, oh, we can use this. Um, and then about a year later, um, another version of my typed um, notes appeared in issue five of TSV, which was the New Zealand Fan Club's publication, which Paul had corrected using notes that I had gone, I'd gone back to the library to do just to double check all my notes and made, make some um, um, fix the errors. So that's sort of the idea of why, how, how creating a list of air dates in New Zealand came about. So the version of the New Zealand air dates from the listener First arrived, you know, it came to be in 83, 84. And then Paul did his own research and put together a series of magazines called the NZ Listener Guide, which was published through TSV, which had photocopies of all the listings and the photographs from the listener. So Paul put out um, 
three volumes of that plus three further updated volumes of the original volume. So there was six or five in total, which became sort of like the um, the, the 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 Bible, the gospel, the the the, the you know the best research that anybody could do on um, New Zealand listings. And that was pretty much it for for for, for the eighties. But then. Um, and one of the things that was brought up in both my research and Paul's research was the fact that so many stories were missed out. And we always wondered why. What was the reason why so many of these stories were missed? The conclusion we drew with the Pertwees was simply because the ones that we got were the only ones that still existed in colour at that time. Because we're talking 1975 onwards. A lot of the um, John Pertwee stories have been wiped. The original colour videotapes have been wiped. So that's why we never got them. But then fortunately... In the early 1980s, a fan called Graham Howard in, uh, in Wellington had managed to get access to the uh, TVNZ's film traffic registers. Now, these are great big, huge volumes, because I've, I've subsequently seen them myself. And these volumes, there's about 10 of them, huge, big things. And these recorded every single film print of, of a television program that TVNZ used Mm-hmm. Um, and it listed the air dates, it listed the dates, uh, the sensor details, um, data. But more importantly, against the episodes, it listed what they did with them. Ah. And, and a number of occasions, uh, um, the, the, films, the film prints were destroyed. But for a large majority, they were sent on to another country. Right. And, the, and that was when we suddenly thought, oh, that may explain why a lot of these stories never got to New Zealand, simply because we missed out because the films weren't available. But what uh, that made me think at the time was, well, if all these films went on to Singapore or to Nigeria, as these records in, uh, records indicated, was well, somebody should find out when these episodes actually aired in those countries. Right. But the problem, <laughs> of course, is how are you going to research that? Because, yeah. again, this is the early 90s. The internet wasn't widely available at the time, and even if it was, that sort of information would not have been available anyway. Hang on, um, I think I've got an email from a prince in Nigeria. <laughs> but I'm, I'm I sorry. Those all the time. He keeps offering me $5 million. I know, same. I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to actually um, to, 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 to go for that because it would pay for some research that I might want to do. Yeah. But um, the thing was, of course, is that having accumulated all this data and this information – Again, it was what do you do with it? So again, it sort of went to the bottom, it went into the bottom of a drawer. But um, by this point, we're talking again the early nineties, mid nineteen nineties. Doctor Who magazine started printing, uh, publishing what they were called the Doctor Who archives. And these were a series of articles written by Andrew Pixley, which detailed the you know, the, the full broadcast, uh, the, the, the production, the recording of. Uh, each serial, very, very intricate detail. And eventually he started including in these articles all the um, lists of the countries where this, the, this each serial had screened. And I started making lists based on the information that was in the articles. Again, accumulating these uh, lists, but then again, what do you do with it? Exactly. Um, so by the early 20, by the early 2000s, um, uh, you know, I had all this information, and I think, well, it's not much use to anybody. Um, but then uh, a British uh, writer called Richard Molesworth, who's done a fair bit of um, research and writing about missing episodes, 
published a uh, a guide, a worldwide guide to foreign broadcasts, which was similar to what I had done in terms of making lists based on the archives and other information that Richard had extracted, because he was he uh, he he worked for the BBC for a time, I, I believe. Right. Um, Armed with his information and with my information, there was a huge amount of information there which gave not only the names of the countries where the episodes are screened, but also an idea of when, e.g. the dates. Um, so I thought, right, using my information and Richard's information, there must be somewhere here in New Zealand that I can use that'll, um, that I can, that I could benefit uh, you know, I could start some research. So I went to the Auckland Public Library. I went to the Auckland University Library. And as it turns out, they had a small collection of Singapore and Rhodesian newspapers on microfilm. So based on the uh, the dates that were in the archives that were in, that were recorded in Richard's um, paperwork, I managed to find the... The listing, the, tele, the television listings in the Singapore Herald and the Rhodesian Herald for when Doc Two screened in those countries. So you're talking, you know, 1965, 1966. So that started. I'm thinking, right, this is really good. It links up because the 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 film traffic records that uh, TVNZ still had indicated that a huge number of the William Hartnell stories were sent from New Zealand to Singapore in 1972. The Singapore Newspapers from 1972 had listings for those same serials. You think, right, it's only a month apart. That sort of started me on thinking, right, where can I get more newspapers? There've got to be some more of these around. So we're talking the early early 2000s here. The internet was a lot bigger. Accessibility was a lot um, faster. I just started Googling um, foreign newspaper um, um, depositories and found um, that there were there was one in uh, Canberra in, in, in Australia, there was the British Library newspapers um, in London and the Library of Congress in Washington DC. So obviously the information's there, but how do you get it? Because the only way to do that was to actually go there. So <laughs> right. crazy as it seems, in two thousand and nine. Uh, sorry, 2000. Oh, when was it? Oh gosh, my mind's gone. Uh, 2000, <laughs> 2009. It's 2009. Um, I saved up all my leave from my work and made uh, a number of little uh, trips um, to those three locations, spending two weeks in each. Sitting in, in the uh, in the library in front of the microfilm uh, microfilm readers, squinting at really badly reproduced foreign newspapers, and making copious notes and taking photographs of all the um, the, the pages, right. and accumulated a huge amount of information about all the air dates of when the Doctor Who screened in various countries around the world. Um, so that was it, really. I was thinking, right, okay. I've got all this information. What do I do with it? Right. It's the old, it's the old conundrum. You, know, you, you, do, you do research, but what do you do with it? Right. And so I decided I would probably put it in a blog or create a website, but I wasn't really um, that technically minded. 
to be able to do that. Um, I did start trying to do uh, put it on a blog on um, on a site that I put together, but uh, I gave up because it was just too cumbersome to uh, to actually use. Right. And then, as it so happened, and this is this is this is where one of those serendipitous moments comes. I went to a convention in Los Angeles. Gallifrey. Uh, that's right. Yes, the Gallifrey Convention in Los Angeles uh, in February of 2010, and. Um, one of the evening events was a um, um, uh, they put on a sort of a show, uh, right. a show in the evening, and I was just sitting in line as you do, waiting to get in, and as you do, you just start talking to the people sitting next to you. So I just started chatting to the guy sitting next to me and asked him, "Oh, oh where are you from?" He goes, "I'm from Chicago," and um, I thought, oh, Chicago, because Chicago's where all the doc, you know, it's where all the big conventions, the American conventions were held. Right. I'd be interested to track down some of the American screenings. I happened to ask the guy, I said, well, you don't buy, you don't by any chance know, you know, have, have a list or detail of when Doctor Who screened in your, on, on your local channel. And he goes, well, as a matter of fact, I do. <laughs> we, we, ex- we exchanged emails, and lo and behold, um, this, uh, the gentleman I'm speaking about is John Lavalley, who lives in Chicago. He's one of the co-founders, creators of the EpGuides uh, website, EpGuides.com. And he had amassed over the years all the, well, not all of them, but a lot of the American screening dates for Doctor Who. And not only that, but he was also a computer whiz in terms of website um, and so it was just the happy fortuitous um, uh, that we happened to be sitting next to each other in in, in the corridor, um, right. and two years later here we are. Uh, I'm 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 talking to you about the the website that we've um, that we've put together, which is the the combination of all this research that I had. Um, you know, uh, acquired and compiled over the over the intervening twenty or so years. Right now, um, I I asked this question earlier just because I was uh, a little unsure going into this interview. The pronunciation it's actually broadcast, but uh, the explanation you actually provided was um, a lot more interesting than me asking the question. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, 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 it's, it's it's pronounced broadcast or broadcast as as they say. Yes. Um, but the way it's spelt is B-R-O-A-D-W-C-A-S-T. And the reason for the D-W is when you see the site and you see the logo, it'll make sense because the D-W forms the central part of the logo, which is similar to the logo that the BBC uses now for, the, for Doctor Who. And by, having, by, by leaving the W, it's a silent W, but by, but by leaving it there in capitals, if you Google broadcast, but with the W, it means you can actually find it yes. a lot easier. Uh, great just, idea. Yeah. So if you Google broadcast as you know by its proper spelling, you'll get references to you know, to everything else. But by spelling it broadcast, but with DW, you'll um, the first hits you should get will all be um, will all be links to the site. I think it's worth mentioning to the listeners that it's .org as well. Yes. So, Steve, yeah. yeah. It's, it is .org, but um, if you do type .net and .com, it should still flow through. There, we've got the um, we've got the, the, the domain names for all the uh, 
the, uh, the, 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 you know, the alternatives. So, right. So they all redirect to .org. It'll, they'll, they all direct to .org. That's, that's the default. Thank you, Mr. John Prattle and uh, Dave and Ian for conducting this interview. Now, we're going to have the full interview on an upcoming extra episode, so this gives you a little taste of it. And for those uh, that are Doctor Who supporting, Doctor Who Pachak supporting subscribers, we'll get the, the whole interview uh, in an upcoming episode. But uh, we're in, also on deck for an extra episode is our review of K9 and Company, which we reviewed uh, last episode. We did a review of The Invisible Enemy, which on the DVD contained the um, the girl, I think it's called A, a Girl's Best Friend, or which is yes. a, which was going to be the first episode of K9 and Company. It was actually a Christmas like special one-off. Um, the first Doctor Who Christmas special, if you will, if not counting Feast of Stephen going back to the William Hartnell, uh, which was, was just part of the series, but um, but yeah, so that's something to look forward to as far as extra episodes go. I know we haven't done an extra episode in, in some time, so we want to uh, catch up and get on board um, with that. And thank you for Dr. Upachuk supporting subscribers again uh, for making this show possible. And we try to do something uh, to give a little back to, uh, to those that support the show. We're going to be right back with feedback. So we want to hear what you have to say. And um, some of you have voiced some things to say and we're going to hear what you had to say this episode's running a little long so i'm going to make this very brief as we just mentioned we have the complete interview with john prattle coming up in an extra edition episode of doctor who podshock which will have along with the interview some further commentary about what john prattle is talking about also um we have another doctor who podshock extra edition episode coming to you so we got two in the pipeline um in the works it's just a thank you for Pachak supporting subscribers. We can't do this show without your support. And remember, when you become a Dr. Who Pachak supporting subscriber, you're supporting all episodes, not just the extra ones. The extra ones are ones that we put out to uh, as just thank yous to uh, to those that are um, supporters. You know, when we can, we put those out. Um, hopefully, we'll be putting more out of them more often. So uh, we do have two on deck for you on in, like I said, uh, coming down the pipeline soon. So, uh, but if you'd like to become a Podshock supporting subscriber, and I, I do recommend that, that you do consider it because, as I said, this show is only possible because of your support. You can go to the website, our website, Podshock.net. On the top there, you'll see a banner to become a Pachak supporting subscriber. And for a small monthly fee, you can support the show, and it makes a big difference. And, and as I said, it makes it possible to bring you this show. So once again, Pachak.net. You can also go to arttrap.com and do the same. Um, and we thank you all for, we thank all our supporters for, um, as I said, for without you, we would not be here. So again, I'm just making this brief. Just go to our website and um, you can sign up. It's a very easy, pain, uh, painless um, effort for uh, um, a course of more than um, a, um, a grande or a vente at Starbucks uh, for about whatever that you pay for that. You'll be um, helping the show. All right. Well, let's get back to Dr. Pachak and we have feedback on deck. So um, let's get back to that. And we're back with Dr. Upachak, and we're here with feedback. 
And as always, we always enjoy hearing what you have to say. You can call the Dr. Pachak public call box at 206-984-3543. And you can call 24, well, if you're a Time Lord, you can call uh, 27 hours a day. Uh, anyway, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's always open. It's a, basically a voicemail system. And um, and for some reason, the, the greeting got erased on its own. And so I have to re-record the greeting. But uh, feel, you know, don't, um, when you call, you'll just get like an automated greeting. So until I get a chance to re-record that greeting. Anyway, uh, again, the number is 206 984 3543 is the number. You can also go to the net website or gallifreyembassy.org. There's a button on the top there for uh, feedback, and it will give you the phone number there. And also you can also send email to feedback at podshock.net. Uh, you can also record an audio clip on your smartphone and just simply record a, a voice memo and send it. You know, you know, you can just easily email that voice memo to feedback at podshock.net. So that's just another way. Uh, since it's an audio podcast, we prefer audio feedback, but, you know, we take whatever feedback we get. We like to hear you. Yes. <laughs> First up is Justin from Ohio, and he had some comments to say about The Invisible Enemy, which was our last show that we, um, that this gang right here, all of us did together. Hi, this is Justin from Troy, Ohio, and I just wanted to mention that I love the episode where you reviewed The Invisible Enemy. Uh, that was actually a story that I've seen many times at uh, one point in my life. Uh, years back, I had unfortunately lost my Doctor Who collection uh, due to water damage, and one of the only things that survived was a recorded copy I had from PBS of The Invisible Enemy. Uh, so before the new series came back and everything, it was one of the few Doctor Whos I had until I found ways to rebuild my collection. So I have fond memories of the invisible enemy uh, giving me the ability to keep a hold of some televised Doctor Who. So enjoyed listening to that. Uh, love hearing Dave and Ian on the show. Uh, I think uh, you, Lewis, and Dave together make an excellent team. I think the podcast has been uh, even more enjoyable to listen to. You have uh, been doing it together. And as far as Ian goes, any fan of The Sixth Doctor is definitely A-OK in my book. Long live Colin Baker. So love the show, guys. think it's great. And can't wait to hear more of it. Bye for now. Thank you, Justin. Yes. Yes, thank you. Um, the, I, I'm going over to right now to steal Stephen Moffat's uh, BAFTA and send it to you. Um, except for the comments about Dave. His head's already big enough. I don't know if he'll get out of the studio. No, <laughs> no, to, no. Dave is, Dave is just fine. I'm worried about your head right now. My head? No, no, no. It's perfectly fine. <laughs> but uh, yes, any uh, any fan of uh, Colin Baker is a friend of mine. Uh, well, I'm a, I'm a Six Doctor was... fan too. I I, I think he's uh, mostly um, been underrated in fandom, you know, in certain aspects of it. And I, I know he's gotten his um, second 
coming, if you will, in, in the audio series. But uh, I, I thought he did a marvelous job. You know, given the chance, he would have done more and been even more incredible um, if his time wasn't cut short right. at that time. Um, sorry to hear that you lost some of your collection, but uh, yeah, glad you had some stuff to, to carry you over to the new series came out. And uh, well, any any longtime listeners to Doctor Who Parchak back in 2005 when the show was sort of years old, only months old, I had a flood and I had suffered probably this, many of the things that, that you've gone through as far as losing things. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of it was my artwork, any paper collectibles and stuff like posters and stuff that I also had got water damage. Um, hopefully, safe. I think most of the uh, the video stuff was saved from it, but um, but a lot of the anything that can absorb water was, um, yeah. <laughs> Yes, so I can relate, unfortunately. Uh, lots of magazines, comic books, and a lot of stuff that, you know, it was a lifetime collection there. <laughs> it was uh, just damaged. I mean, it's... And, and even stuff, you know, you think, oh, well, it's off the ground. You don't have to worry about it. But water, anything anything that absorbs water will suck it up from the... And, and it just... It, it's... Just, I mean, you could just have a few inches of water and it can do oh, a lot yeah. of damage. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was, I, I lost most of my Doctor, all of my Doctor Who collection when I moved over to the United States, except for one thing. Uh, a friend of mine who's a, a, a Doctor Who friend came to my garage sale and bought a few things, including my, uh, my Sixth Doctor guide. And oh. uh, the day before I left, he came around to say goodbye and he gave it back to me. He said, a Colin Baker fan can't be without this. And that was really, really cool. But yes, thank you, Justin, for your feedback. That was wonderful to hear. And uh, yeah, um, Dave and I are quite flattered, and Lewis is always flattered. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's just heartbreaking when you lose that. Um, I had a, a, a large collection from the late 50s and 60s of um, a science fiction and fantasy uh, magazine, a monthly magazine that has all the great science fiction writers in it, uh, you know, Ray Bradbury and Isaac Asimov and Theodore Sturgeon and all that. Uh, but the, my wife thought they were smelly old books because they were old even then. And they went in the garage and some mice decided to make a nest out of them. So, I, was, mm. and I mean, I'm sure they're worth a fortune now. Uh, very kindly, Tim Jury gave me a couple of copies of them when he came over here to uh, see the, the Fab Cafe. So well, I've got nice. two copies of them, but uh, really great. Some uh, they, You've got stories like Hot House from uh, Brian Aldiss in them and um, um, Glory Road and all sorts of great science fiction books from stories. Yeah, a, lot of, a, lot, a lot of these science fiction books actually started off as sort of monthly serials in these magazines. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's a shame when you when you lose stuff. You know, you spend all this time collecting it, and I mean, even if it's not like the monetary value, just sentimental value of um, of stuff that you have as a collector. You know, and it just has memories attached to it, and it's just a shame when when you lose it and you can't replace it because it's that's why they call them collectibles. Yeah. I had almost every every Target novelization. I hadn't read them all. I just collected them all, and. Uh, but uh, I sacrificed them to, to to move to America to be with uh, my now wife. So I guess you could say it was worth it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> your wife, and now you have a family. Um, it's just as well she doesn't listen to Podshock. <laughs> edit, edit, edit that word guess out. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> oh, no. He's just kidding. Mm. <laughs> 
Move on. Uh, we'll move on to Do we next. have any more feedback? Yes. <laughs> before I get any more trouble. Well, the next piece of feedback comes from Huviak, and this is what um, Huviak had to say. Hello, guys. This is Huviak. I was just listening to uh, the podcast review of The Invisible Enemy, and I don't really understand what it is. Uh, you're not the only podcast that does this. Everybody seems to have a problem with the classical series Special Effects. Uh, even though I think there's some nostalgia associated with it, personally, I prefer the old Special Effects over the new ones, especially in light of the facts that I think they do more with them than they have ever done with the new series. The classical series, I think, tends to focus more on science than the new series in a doctor the old series. It's just a regular individual in the space of time continuum, not master of the universe. As you can guess, I'm a fan of the old series. Anyways, those are just a couple thoughts. Thanks a lot. Keep, uh, keep on going. And thank you. And I, I think we might have been misinterpreted in our last episode. And I was afraid this might happen because I um, I had made a point of it saying that for for those that may be watching an invisible enemy and if the special effects like bring you out of the story, then to like watch it with the new effects and then rewatch it with the original. And that was only as um, because I know some newer fans, you know, that it's an issue. But actually, I I'm um, I'm in the same boat with Huviak here. I, I, I appreciate and enjoy the original effects, and, and I think they deserve credit for what they were able to do, especially in light of what they had to work with and, and the conditions and all that. And um, so I, I don't want to miss lead people to think that we um, are trying to, um, you know, that, that we're, we're ashamed of the effects. I, 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 I don't, I'm not, I, I enjoy them. I know to me, but, but for me, it's always the effects in Dr. Who is always secondary to me. It's always been characters and um, um, you know, and storytelling first. Right. I mean, like, like, like I said in there, I mean, that's what we had. And to me watching it, I mean, it's always neat to see, especially on these DVDs, what they've managed to do as far as you know, recreating special effects and improving them and whatever. But just like with Star Wars, I'm a purist. I like to watch it how I remember it and how mm-hmm. I you know, originally saw it. And, and that's what matters because that's, that's what's stuck in my memory. Um, but I, 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 I mean, I kind of understand what he might have gleaned from what we were saying because um, I listened back to the episode. Um, but I, 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 I I think I took it from how you meant it, Lewis, when you were talking about, you know, how to watch it, that if you're a new series fan and you're mm-hmm. trying to get into the old series, that it might be better to start with the new effects and, and watch that and enjoy the story and not be taken out of it by going, oh, God, you know. Yeah. Because, you know, a lot of people who are new to the series, like if my son were to watch it, I'm sure he'd be like, wow, really? <laughs> You can totally tell it's a special effect because he's become a connoisseur of special mm. effects, my child. <laughs> he's like, really? That's that's all I could do? <laughs> and and it, it's, it's – I, I have to explain to him. It's like, look, you know, this is this, this was top-notch special effects. This was this great stuff. You know, we didn't have this kind of stuff. Before it was all like, you know, yeah, it was even worse than this. 
for I mean, us, uh, this was top notch. You know, this was the yeah. the, the pinnacle of mm-hmm. special effects, and you know, shut up, enjoy the story. You know, <laughs> well, well but, from what I remember, they only had two computers. They, I think they pinched them from the the weather department, didn't they? The uh, the paint box things to to do stuff. I think I've got the only thing I find slightly difficult with classical ones, although I do watch them. Um, one is the actual pacing. I think that. Probably not the special effects, but the fact that mm-hmm. um, some stories can seem a little, uh, you know, dr- drawn out where, you know, they're walking down a 10 metre tunnel and it takes them five minutes to walk, you know, five paces forward because the set wasn't that big. So, you know, uh, and the other thing is um, that in, in the 25 minute uh, episode format, um, by the time you watch the actual um, the title sequence and then the recap of where the situation was up to from the previous week, uh, you, you do you know you're sort of five minutes into the story before you you reach new material. Mm. Pacing definitely plays a part in some of the stories, where um, especially when they have to uh, sometimes they had to extend stories to fill like. Um, you know, uh, they had to like so, take a four-parter so, and extend yeah. it to a six-parter or a seven-parter seven or something like that. Where then there's filler that they had to put in, and um, you know, because it, and then when you watch it straight through, it just doesn't. The pacing is dis, dis um, um, combobulated, you know, because it was meant to watch, you know, w- weekly, you know, and. Right. So, yes, you needed those reminders anyway, because yeah. it, it, you know, you, you'd lived a, a week of your life between watching something happen. You needed that twenty second, thirty second reminder of where we're. Oh yes, that's right. They just walked into the cave. Or yes, that's just right. The, the doctor was just about to be yeah. executed. You know, whatever it happened to be. But I mean, as far as the pacing goes, back then, as long as it, the pacing was okay for that. 25 minute segment that you're watching that week it was fine because you don't really re- remember the pacing that went on the week previous or the week before that but then when you sit down on a dvd and watch all four episodes back to back or within a couple of days then you notice the pacing more evidently you know it's more prominent right talking of but, pacing <laughs> <laughs> well that said he still looks like a shrimp i'm sorry <laughs> like a shrimp. i think even then i thought Looks like a shrimp. <laughs> and sounded like a megalomaniac. But that's all right. We love Doctor <laughs> Who. I mean, I think I've said it before. Yes. Probably on this show that, that my, my, my father-in-law is like, oh, you like it because it's crappy special effects and kind of campy. I'm like, no, I like it because it's good. <laughs> so shut up. <laughs> anyway. All right. So the last piece of feedback we got. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> You, you're just never going to live this down, are you? Does somebody else need to read it? David, read it. Oh, my. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm terrible when it comes to pronouncing stuff I'm not familiar with. So, uh, to whom it may concern, the word kitsun, Japanese for kitsun. See, I'm already mispronouncing it. Yeah. Uh, for fox is pronounced Kaitsuni? Kaitsuni? See, I'm already. I'm, I, and I, 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 this is from Michael House, by the way, and I do, I do apologize. Uh, and and uh, the, there are no silent vowels in Japanese. So I didn't first. I didn't realize it was a Japanese word, and um, and, and I, I do apologize. So um, how, how would we pronounce this now? Kaitsuni. Hey. But yes, I, I, I was going with the kitsune from the way that the editors, uh, you know, 
had, had people just who wrote used the book. it to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, I bow to this uh, Michael's, uh, is it Michael House? Yeah, um, uh, Doctor Who fans since 1978. <laughs> So uh, an next, expat in Japan. Yeah, and since 1991, so 21 years of uh, experience there, yeah. If we only had Randall Thor here, he could help us out. It sounds hey, like does he know Sui. Japanese well? Oh, yes, yeah. he does. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> very, very well. He's, lots, he's watched lots of movies, hasn't he, Dave? <laughs> Send in some audio feedback for that one. I think we need. Yeah. See, yes. this is why audio feedback works best. <laughs> exactly. Especially when you're correcting us from pronunciation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, no, we thank you. Um, thank you for that. All right. Well, I think that's going to round out our show. Unless, uh, any, any last minute? Um, more news! But no, wait, no, no, no. I'm only kidding. People are ribbing about your pronunciation of things. <laughs> if Dave didn't correct you enough for the last episode, you had to get it back as well. <laughs> Dave? No, no, okay, no. I would, Just uh, making sure you were still uh, with us. Yeah, yeah. The only thing I would mention, perhaps you should have mentioned before, is that uh, if, if in the John Peddle uh, interview listing, you you hear him mention app guides. Um, that is spelt EP guides. It's epguides.com. And um, the the chap that he actually mentioned um, on that uh, was um, John John Levelier, who, who who actually, if you if you find them, he did the ones for the radio uh, things, and uh, there's information there. So it's epguides.com e-p-g-u-i-d-e-s dot com okay very good well thank you both for uh, your interview with John Perdle and um, and thank you all our listeners for for listening and supporting the show and um, until next time cheers everyone cheers bye bye You have been listening to Doctor Who Podshock, presented by the fan-run GallifreyEmbassy.org. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Doctor Who Podshock theme music by Jeff Smith at thejeffsmith.com. This has been a production of Art Trap Productions and is presented to you by the Gallifrey Embassy and has been made possible in part by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This episode is also supported by the Podshock Podcast Companion app for iOS devices now available in the iTunes App Store. I've come a long way for you. Naturally. Don't expect any thanks. <laughs>